Hi, welcome to the end. If you're listening to this episode on the day it came out, I wanted to quickly remind you that we will be doing a live stream listen along today at 4 p.m. Central Time, followed up by a Q&A at 8 p.m. over at twitch.tv questfriends. If you're not listening to this episode the day it comes out, that Q&A is probably already in your feed, or it's going to be in there soon. Our theme song for this campaign has been Friends by Miracle of Sound, and our mid-credits song is Some Things Never Change, also by Miracle of Sound. In addition, for visual versions of this episode, I've included a fun little credit sequence at the end, but for those of you listening along, I've taken that credits and put it at the bottom. Down there, you can find a list of almost everyone who helped make Season 1 of Quest Friends possible. Alright, with all that out of the way, there's nothing left to say other than previously on previously previously pre 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 One billion years in the future. Mankind's dominance over the Earth has long since been usurped by technological advancements and visitors from beyond the stars. And much like the reign of the dinosaurs, each new world has climbed out of its predecessor's ashes before meeting a harsh finish. Now, in the ninth such world, humanity struggles for survival on a planet ravaged by powerful artifacts. Will the heroes learn to master the magic of the past? Or will they unleash horrors unbound by natural reality? Find out on a journey with your quest friends. rest of the northern country of Navarine, Rhubarb doesn't seem that wealthy. While you might find an electric tether here or a telepathic sheepdog there, for the most part people get by by the grit of their teeth. And grit they have making their pay by taming a multitude of wild creatures, including anines, broken hounds, and blood barbs. Misha, you are here because the town has been posting a call for anyone daring, desperate, or deluded enough to adventure for hire. You enter the mayor's office, which is in the back room of the town bar. The bar is alive with what I like to call life and strife. Food and fists are flying as part of a massive bar fight, but everyone seems to be having a good time. You've got friends smiling at each other and then just punching each other's teeth out. There's a band in the corner ducking as food and beer is being thrown over them. And across the entrance at the bar, you see this pleasant woman just casually washing dishes and not really paying attention to anything. Okay, so Misha is just going to enter the bar and is going to stand and look around a little bit puzzled, but at the same time taking it all in. And then they are going to look to see if there's a bartender around. Yeah, the bartender, she's that really nice lady in the back washing dishes. And she sees you come over and she says, Why, hello there, dear. How are you doing today? Oh, hello there, unidentified bartender. I am doing quite well. I am, uh, I am seeing that there is quite an event right now in this place. Is this in a special location? 
Well, you know those farmhands, they just go nuts for Thursday night brawl out. Thursday night brawl out? And I'm going to use my speak to the data sphere focus here to figure out what Thursday night brawl is. Yeah, so you look deep, deep into the data sphere. And you find out a few things about brawls. So you find out that brawls are usually things that enemies do. Like, it's a type of fight. There was also this... So it's normally physical, but there was this digital version way, way back in one of the former worlds that I guess was more similar to this. Like there was plumbers and doctors and, you know, common workers, but also a couple of anthropomorphic animals as well. So that's what the data sphere tells you about brawls. It's usually something enemies have done, but there's some sort of electronic entertainment that was related to friends. The keyword Thursday doesn't seem related at all. Misha's going to look confused at the bartender and be like, Huh, it's interesting. Are humans having an actual fight on Thursdays? Does our common enemy come on Thursdays to have a brawl in this place? Well, you must be new here, darling. No, we don't have any enemies here besides the bureaucracy and the spiders. No, we here just, we like to have a good old fun time and let out our aggression. Because, you know these folk, they have a rough time of life. Well, what are you here for? You don't seem to be here for the Thursday night brawl. Oh, I certainly am not. I heard that there is a certain quest that has been requested for the real humans in this town. Oh, yes, we do. We certainly do have a quest. And, oh, look, it looks like we're waiting for one more person. So now, dear, can you tell me what your name is? Oh, certainly. My nomenclature is Machine in Suit of Human Armor. Just a dear, dear, very... dear, 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 I can't... Nobody's gonna be remembering that, dear. Do you have a nickname, like a shortened version that normal folk can remember? Oh, yes, certainly. But I should first explain the whole meaning of my nickname. Dear, Otherwise... dear, 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 we, we've heard the full meaning so many times. You mention a couple of words and it just goes straight over my head. So, like, could you just give me a shortened version or something like that? Oh, certainly. You can shorten my nomenclature as M-I-S-H-A-J-A-R-V-I-S batch or Misha Jarvis batch at your service. And she's going to look down and you see her tapping the first letter of every word of the name written there. And she eventually says... Well, what do you know? It even has that at your service there at the end. Thank you so much, Misha. I'll get you seen soon. And this bartender goes over to Sue's office and she just turns around to everyone else and yells, Hey, everybody pop down for a moment. And just everyone dead silence. And then she says, All right, now what I'm going to need is I'm going to need everyone who signed up for the mayor's quest, and she opens the door, you can come right through here and she'll see you shortly. Everyone else, continue fighting. And you see everyone just immediately goes back to the bar fight. But Misha, your focus isn't on the bar fight. It's instead on the three other adventurers who are coming to join you. You see this really, really cute boy in a blue robe who's just been trying not to get involved in the fight stand up and walk into the room. You see your mother knee deep in the fighting, just blood up to her wrists, wiping it down and walking in. And then finally, 
you see Simon Scotch, probably tired from another adventure with Lorraine, who's fallen asleep at the table, his face just deep in a half-eaten calzone. And they all get up and walk into the mayor's office. I joined them. Certain things are not meant to be seen at night. Somehow, when the moon glows its brightest, its inability to be the sun, no matter how hard it tries, becomes even more apparent. And as the moonlight illuminates the lifeless ice sculptures of Dunshire, which feel so much weightier now for some reason, a chill runs down your spine. It's quiet. So fucking quiet. And in fact, it's so quiet that you jump about ten feet as a playful voice says, Well, Hopper, it's been a long time. Over a dozen years, in fact. Hopper does not jump at the voice, and he is so proud that he didn't, and he's got his little notepad. He's very proud of his investigative work. And he'll say, So we meet again, Joe. Yes, we do. We do. We do. We do. What dirt have you uncovered on me this time, Hopper? Well, Joe, I found a canteen that the mayor had left here, and I thought maybe, you know, the water had to be fairly recent because the water would have evaporated real quickly. So I thought maybe it was the mayor. But the thing about our mayor is that he's not very good at being a mayor. And I don't know, I don't think it was him. Uh, and then I, y you know the rest. My dad Theo said we have to find the head to find the culprit. You didn't happen to find anything like that, did you? One-Eyed Joe, Beatrice, Lorraine, starts slowly walking up to you, her hands behind her back. Well, 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 Hopper, you've been busy. And you're right, I did find something. And with that, her hand suddenly whips out, and in front of your face, you see two sticks of flavored popsicle ice. I found these in the mayor's office. I figured they'd be helpful while we're staking out tonight. Which flavor do you like more? Uh, Hopper will take, like, if there's a red and a blue one, he'll take the blue one and then he'll start eating it like you eat a popsicle. So you're sitting there eating those popsicles and eventually teenage Lorraine pipes up. So, Simon Hopper Simon, what are you going to do once you leave this town? Hopper will shrug and say, you know, I don't know. I mean, my dad's are really good at, like, design and at woodworking and ice sculpting and all that kind of stuff. But I don't know if I'm really good at anything, so I don't know what I'm going to do. But I do know that I don't want to stay here. And she's going to kind of think to herself, and she'll eventually say, It's a nice place. I can see why people like it. But you're right, it's no place for a hero. You know... I had a lot of fun today. I think, I mean, and then he'll look down at the book and say, I know that legendary heroes aren't really a thing anymore, but I think I just want to try to do the best I can. You know, I'm not unhappy here, exactly, but today was the happiest I've been in a long time. It felt like I was serving a purpose. So do you think I could be a hero? Really? Darling, I don't say these things lightly. No, I don't think. The deep, echoing sound of a Tyrannosaurus 
echoes through the cliffside. This creature is used by the town of Russell in order to detect any incoming threats, but it's also used to mark the beginning and end of work. So because of that sound, you know immediately that Carl is about to come home. Every time Carl comes home, Ellie drops whatever she's been doing. Sometimes she sets it down if it's something fragile or that would spill a lot. If it spills a little, sometimes she'll just drop it and hurry over to the window to wait for him. And Carl's just walking up the pathway. He's whistling to himself, and you can see his hat do a little dance on the top of his head as he whistles. The purple scarf he has bundled around his throat, just tick-tocking up and down to keep count with the rhythm. And his shoes are almost tapping of their own accord. And in his arms, you see that he has a box. This is so exciting. You, you know in your heart what it is. I'll throw the door open, but... Unlike the usual routine of then flinging herself at Carl, Ellie will just run up to meet him. What's the box? Oh, and he quickly hides it behind his back. Do you want me to pretend I didn't see it? Oh, maybe. Ellie is going to turn around and walk back into the house and close the door and sit down in a chair and cross her legs like in a really bad show of pretending that she was waiting. All right, so he's going to open the door, and actually, the purple scarf opens the door for him. And he continues to whistle, and this purple scarf just snakes up on the coat rack, and the coat flutters off his wings and flies on as well. Same with the hat, same with the shoes. And actually, two slippers come out from underneath the coat rack and slide onto his feet, just like the way excited dogs come and nuzzle when you get home. And then he motions to you to turn around, like turn your back to him but he doesn't say it. Ellie will turn her back to him and she'll like shuffle around and lean back further in the chair to try to look even more casual. So you turn around and then suddenly you feel heat on your face as a big, ugly homemade cake slams down in front of you with three bright candles on it. And it says, happy 23rd birthday. And then you hear a little, a little treddy ta-da whistle. It's amazing! I love it! Carl! Happy birthday! I, uh, spent a few hours on it. I could have used a few more practice cakes, but I think you'll remember this cake in particular. It's perfect. Also, uh, when did you get home, honey? I didn't even know you were here. (laughs) Alright, just... I got a lot for you, but just let's... And he opens the box and he starts digging into it. Just blow out the candles so we can dig into the cake. Ellie's gonna pop up before she blows out the candles and just give him a kiss on the cheek and then go back. (laughs) No peeking. I'm not peeking. And then she'll move forward a little bit and be like, this time I'm trying to peek. (laughs) Blow out the candles. Okay, fine. She'll blow them out. And they come back on again. What? Blow them out again. They come back on. Carl. And you turn over and you see his shoulders are kind of raising and lowering a little bit. And he's like, (laughs) Uh, yeah. Carl. Blow out the candles. She'll roll her eyes and blow them out. They go back on. Carl Badge, stop pretending that I need to blow them out. You blew out the seat. Look. And he waves his hand in front of one of the candles and blows it out. And it stays out. Well, I've done the child for you. Come on, I can't steal all the wishes. 
How did you do that? I blew! You did not blow. I blew. See? And he does the same thing to his candle. Come on, there's only hers left. You gotta have at least one wish. This time, Ellie's gonna remember to make a wish because she half has faith that they're actually gonna go out. So you turn over, you blow, and you see the candle goes out. And it stays out this time. But you see Carl is leaning above you with his hand raised, and he quickly puts it down to the side. Guilty. So, uh... Who was your wish? Who was my wish? Who did you wish for? It was me, right? You don't love Ray more than me. Do you? Skip, 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 skip. Bloosh. Skip, 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 skip. Bloosh. You know, bud, for seeing so many years of skipping stones, I think I would have been able to do it by now. Shock, you are back at the beach on the wheel. But today, instead of being accompanied by Horace, you're accompanied by a man about your age with auburn hair. It, uh, it takes time. Sometimes we don't pick up things the way we wanted to, or figure things out as fast as we thought we were supposed to. Sometimes you have to keep coming back to it, you know? Yeah. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. I get it now, Shock. I get why you couldn't trust me. What? Yeah. Why you couldn't trust me. That's the hard part about putting on a show for something like this. And Llewellyn motions around all of him. And you notice that the peripheries of what you're looking at are vague. The things that you remember are clear, but anything that was not part of your memory is foggy. And Llewellyn turns back to you and says, But... I'm glad you trusted me. Welcome to the Apocrita. That's... yeah, we... we... we beat you. We stabbed you. We're inside? This is... this is inside. Yeah. You did everything exactly the way I wanted you to, Shock. What? And Lowell looks so happy and he walks up and he like grabs your hand. I had to put on a show for the cloud. It couldn't know what I was trying to do or would try to take me down. But but I knew if I found someone who could find it, who could fight it, that they could come in and they could help me take it down from the inside. And that's you, Shock. That's always been you. But where's everyone else? Where are they? We were all... We were all holding the spear. Roll me perception, Shock. Oh, boy. Is a 14, good sir. The fog at the periphery of your vision for a second changes, and you could swear you see a few other things that couldn't exist or didn't exist on the wheel. The only one you seem to remember, though, I don't know, there's a small, what looks like a bar that feels vaguely familiar. But if you go the turn and look at it, or if you don't, it quickly fades away, and Lowell looks down sad and says, They're waiting. Outside. The Apocrita could only let one person in. With my failure shock, it is trying to find a new host. Trying to find someone it deems worthy. And there's no real reason to bring in four people for that test. It only needs one. 
It chose you, and it wants me to trick you. But I'm tired of doing that. <sighs> tired, huh? No, 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 no. Oh, no. No. I'm sorry. What's wrong, pal? <laughs> pal, huh? There were two of them. I saw Lowell's memory. There were two hosts before him. Now, I have spent a fair bit of time with Lowell in my head, and there was quite a while where he was not being fully honest with me about who he was, what he was planning, and I didn't, I didn't pick up on that right away, not at first. But you know what? I did learn. I learned that he truly believes in his misguided plan to save everyone inside the Apocrita. So no, I don't believe you. You aren't Lowell. You wouldn't try to make up some sort of deal now that I'm on the inside. So where are my friends? Whatever you are. The Apocrita takes Puppet Lowell's lips and it makes them curl up in a devious smile. Ma'am, I'm an accountant. I can explain this real quick. See, when you have money... But that's what I said. Misha, you and your friends are in the well-kept office of Sue Strongarm. It's a pretty simple office. There looks to be like a stool that's covered on a blanket, and then a normal desk with just miscellaneous things on it. Pens, paper, a mirror. And in front of the desk, illuminated by the purple light of your eye, is Mayor Sue Strongarm. Sue is this large, burly woman wearing farming mining overalls and then a working shirt underneath it. Some of her clothing is ripped, which you can tell is clearly from the fighting, but it seems less like someone ripped it like they were fighting and more that the poor clothes just couldn't take the strain of her muscles going full force trying to fight the spiders going underneath it. And right now, she's straining her mental muscles, trying to explain not only the adventure you're going on, but how money works. Okay, what I need you to do is go to the Prileman Ruins, to the east, find a man named Aegon, and wake him up. Does that make sense? Misha is going to reply with the exact slow tone. Yes, it definitely makes sense. All right. Uh, one thing before you go. Don't kill anyone before we get there. What? Don't kill anyone. I know it's your thing, but... It... I... do not understand what you're saying. I understand the words, but... I... Have we... Do you... Oh! Did ya really forget? And Misha, you notice your reflection in the mirror. The purple light sparks out and is replaced by a red eye, the light of which hits the mirror and reflects, and it takes over the main of your vision and then all of the peripheries, because it is no longer just the red light of your eye. It's the fierce, burning fire of a turned-over car casting harsh light upon the bogs of the Baadenu forest. No, wait, I... 
this is not... I defeated you. You cannot be here. Where... Where... Where am I? You thought that was your most important memory. But was it? After you've now remembered what you did, and to your left, Misha, you see a figure in the combination astronaut suit and coveralls of the Speedy Speed Boys. Her suit just charred by the flames. No, that was not me. You, you know that was not me. I, although I know that that isn't really what you are. Where, where is the rest of my friends? I think I know now that that place was not the real bar. They were there. Why are you sending me here? Are you really asking that? You really want to know. Why do you want to know? And her head cocks. So you can kill them? No, I told you that that is not who I really am. Not anymore, nor ever. You tell yourself that. Yet, without you, and there's an explosion from the car, this would not have happened. We know you do not want to be a threat, lady with cinnabar lips. But we know as long as there is a connection to the data sphere, there is a risk of that. I said it before. My name is Misha Jarvis Batch. I am not who you think I am. I have never been. Then why not protect yourself from her? This space here is disconnected from the data sphere. It keeps trying to come in, and she motions up, and you can see threads from the data sphere trying to get into this memory, but being repelled backwards by some force. But we can keep them out. We can keep your friends safe, and we can help you forget. Wouldn't you rather forget? And Ayn has walked close to the car, and she motions towards it and you can see the faintest outline of a figure in the burning rubble. I... I would have done that once, but I know that if I went to do that and my friends were aware of it, they would come for me. So now it is time for me to do likewise. I need to know where they are. I'm done hiding and I am done forgetting. I cannot change the past, but this doesn't mean that I am going to hide from it. Hmm. So that makes two. I want to do a pinky promise. What's that? Oh, this is called a pinky promise. When you connect your pinkies like this and shake them, it's more important than a regular promise. Simon, I know what a pinky promise is. What I mean is what could you possibly promise me? Oh, well, I... I guess I don't know. I mean, what do you want? I want a hero. I want a friend. I want another half off which I can bounce. I, I can be all those things. 
That's what I wanted to hear. Come, Simon. I know we've had a rough time. It's been a rough few months. But I'm so glad to hear that you're ready to be Hopper with me again. Well, I... Have I... I think I've always been Hopper with you. With me, yes. Yeah, so what, uh, 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 and Hopper will look confused. He'll have his pinky outstretched like he's waiting to actually do a pinky promise with someone. And as you look down, Hop, you can see that your little 12-year-old pinky is now coming out of a full-grown man's hand. That really shocks, he was already starting to be like, wait, but that really shocks him out of it, seeing a child's pinky extending (laughs) from his adult man hand, and, uh... I can see why you really needed her. You're slow on the uptick. And Lorraine wags her finger at you. We're surprised she took you back at all after the dot wave thing. Oh, that's what this, yeah. You know, you're right, I was kind of slow on the uptake there, but, you know, correction, I don't think she ever took me back. And Lorraine turns around and does finger guns. And there's the trick. Think about it, Simon, Simon. Oh, I was trying to repeat your name for effect, but I just ended up saying the whole thing instead. We've seen so many existences, and might we say this is one of the dullest. These past few months have been hard, haven't they, Simon? Didn't it feel good, though? Sharing popsicles again? Having that relationship? Being who you can be? I guess so, but I, I kind of already have those things. So I'm not, I'm not sure that I, um, you know what? And he realizes that he never took back his pinky. So he does that now. He retracts it. And he says, what can you promise me? The world, Simon. And we're not talking about the big world that all the villains <laughs> care about. Because you and her understood that that's not what's important. When we say we can promise you the world, and Lorraine turns around and motions to herself, we're talking about the one that matters. And we're giving you the chance that she never will. Hopper will, he's retracted the pinky, but he's still holding a little popsicle in his other hand. And it's starting to melt on his hand and down his very nice jacket. And he doesn't like that. So he'll shake it off a little bit and then realize that the parts of the popsicle that are melting off are not just blue, like the blue popsicle he chose, but they're like red and purple and like a whole bunch of other colors. And then at the end, all the colors morph together into his favorite color, brown. And... (laughs) (laughs) You're right. That is what matters. But you kind of got the specifics wrong. I, I know that, y- that you, standing there, you don't matter. You know, we're not, not in the way you think. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be rude, but where are my friends? Fine. Fine. And Lorraine looks a little bit annoyed before reminding herself. You three weren't the ones we wanted most anyway. You're gonna sit here and impersonate my dead husband and ask me who I like more? My girlfriend or my dead husband? (laughs) I have too many children 
for this shit. Carl looks hurt. <laughs> uh-huh. Now you're gonna make my dead husband cry at me? Are you serious? Uh-huh. Isn't it convincing? <laughs> we can make him exactly how you remembered him. Perfect. Better than he ever actually was. There's no way to make him better than he actually was. And there's no way to make him how he was. I'm never gonna stop loving Carl. But Carl would have known that, and he would have forgiven me for letting myself be happy again. Uh, the Apocrypha is trying to think of a way to respond, a way to be like, no, this was the obvious one. This was the clear, the clear one we could. And Carl doubles back and he blinks and a few tears fall on the ground from Carl. And he looks up to you. Not the Apocrytus Carl, not actual Carl, but the way you remember him, the way you know he would have felt about all of this. I just wanted to tell you I'm proud of you. And that's when his face melts. You didn't feel it when you first entered the Apocrita and it welcomed you in like guests. But now all of you can't avoid feeling a harsh scream made out of millions upon millions of voices as your memories are forcefully dragged out of yourself and pulled into your surroundings to create a personalized nightmare. Ellie, you feel the fire as the candles on the cake on the table reignite in a fierce flame. Not affecting you, but flowing over to Carl, slowly melting his entire body like the wax on a candle. Hopper, the Lorraine in front of you, says, Are you really so sure you can be Hopper without me? Then prove it. And she kicks you to the ground. And as she kicks you, you feel around for the items in your pockets, but all you can find is a harmonic calculator in your pockets and a little coned hat. Because in front of you stands, not quite Lorraine Styles, but Lorraine Styles' body inside of an outfit that can only be described as Dusty Cowboy with a dash of motorcycle edge. Misha. The fire illuminates the bog around you, which starts boiling, and Ayn in front of you says, Are you sure you haven't hurt anyone? And climbing out of the water, you see a robotic cicada with a broken wing slowly limping on a leg. You see a cowboy whose face has been completely thrashed from being slammed on pavement from something high in the sky. A soldier in a Gendarmi outfit, crushed and mangled, slowly contorts his body, dragging up. The body in the car, flaming, starts pulling itself out, followed up by this old woman in a red hat, whose face has just been completely eroded by streams of tears. Next to her is a small robot child, whose body parts are being slowly picked apart by a swarm of beetles accompanied by another robot that have oil and wires spilling out of a gash in his head. Although for that one, I suppose he wasn't truly alive in the first place. Ugh. 
God. You brought that quote back from a discarded argument. <laughs> well, well, well. It isn't the consequences of our own actions. <laughs> and finally, the astronaut suit in front of you lifts off her helmet to reveal that Ayn's face, after having been left alone for countless upon countless years waiting for you to come back, has over time been completely wiped clean. And finally, Shock, the Apocrita speaks to you the most directly. Not taking on Lowell's voice anymore, but taking on voices of people you've left behind. Are you? Really feeling? I do want this fool to keep piloting the Apocrita? Even in light of what he's doing? And Shock, you see the wheel behind you, clear as day. The fog is gone, and this is not a memory anymore. This is, it has to be the present. Spiders are raining down from on top of the cloud, falling upon all of the people here. You see a giant obsidian Sioux smashing down on the speedy speed boys. You see Vespari and the others in your home bombarded while trying to barricade themselves from this facsimile of the professor. Some large Angulan knight, the one you remember from Lowell's memory as TJ, is knocking down the door to where reference section is hiding. Up top, replicas of Mom are just stabbing fucking everybody. And perhaps scariest of all, you can see Ness up in the top corner by the generator, clutching something close to his chest and running away from a full fleet of treadings. And the Apocrita asks one last time, You sure you want to do this, pal? Let me correct you. What you're doing right now. Can Shock, like, access esoteries here inside the Apocrita? You can. All right, Shock is going to, like, flick the fingers on his left hand a little bit and feel, like, the spark of cutting light there and then just fire out a beam and just arc it all around, like trying to slash through the image, through the fake Lowell, just cutting everything around him. Give me a roll. Yeah. That's a five. Your cutting light goes out, and when it hits the periphery of what you can see, just stops, and all of the soldiers from the NPC fight episode turn around to you. And the Apocrita says... Well, don't say we didn't warn ya! And Shock, I need you to roll speed defense five times. Five times, huh? Yep. <laughs> uh, Sorry, six times. <laughs> okay, we've got a 17. Ooh. An 8. Mm. An 11. Another 8. A 12 and a 15. How would you feel if I told you all of those failed? The first thing that attacks is the giant Sue. She takes her fist and slams it down on you for 10 points of damage. What? The fist congeals out into a pool around you, out of which come two mobs, which shink, shink, one after the other stab you for six points of damage each. As you're trying to recover, a beam of an esoteric from the professor, cutting light, funnily enough slashes across your body for 10 points of damage. 
you're bombarded by a series of treadies, which is doof, 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 one after another, hit you for eight points of damage total. And finally, the Angulan Knight, the one who made Aegon Stormbreaker, lifts you up and crushes you for 10 points of damage, which that is 10, 22, 32. I have 17 points in my intellect pool after that. All of our pools depleted. Yep, 50 points. 50 points. Oh, God. Jesus. (laughs) Does it, uh, if it's only in my head, does it still count as debilitated? If you die in the Apocrypha, do you die in real life? Are these Matrix rules? Yes. (laughs) Pretty good for a figment of my imagination. Ellie. I need you to roll intellect defense. Oh, come on. Not fair. Why are you making me roll intellect defense? Um, two levels. Are you trained at all? Okay, okay, okay. I am trained in mind control defense and telepathic intrusion defense. This is telepathic intrusion. You know what? I'll give it to you. Yeah, three steps easier. Three steps easier. There we go. How does a 13 do? What does Ellie think when she sees this Carl? He's fake, but he looks real. Wow, he looks really like Carl. But I have children to save. I don't have time for my trauma. (laughs) You say that. Yet you're completely unable to move. And this waxy melting Carl slams himself against your frozen body. And you can feel the fire starting to melt you in turn for 15 points of might damage. Avoiding armor. Hopper, what do you do? I think the first thing Hopper does is probably just look up at this scary not Lorraine wearing his clothes. And your shield. Damn it. And my shield. The last thing the Apocrita monster said to him was, prove your ho- you can be hopperscotch, right? Yeah. Then he wants to look at the Apocrita wearing his clothes and say, looks like one of us is trying a lot harder than the other. Roll me speed defense. I got a four. <laughs> Funny. You say you're the original, but that doesn't mean the best. And suddenly she puts down her arm and out of her sleeve comes a little blade. No. A little forearm blade. No. And the Apocrytus says, you know, we always wondered why you never use this. (laughs) And she grabs you by the neck, stabs you with it four times for 24 damage. Ow. Jesus. Damn. Okay. Misha, you are surrounded by eight corpses of miscellaneous decay. They aren't quite at you yet, but they're slowly crawling towards you. How are you responding? Okay, so Misha will say, None of this was my doing. I did not intend for any of these to happen, so you cannot blame it on me. They will point at Carl and say, my dad died because of her, referring to the lady. And then they will point at Ayn and TK and say, I know that they are doing fine. I saw them just before I left, and I intend to go back so that nothing like this ever happens to them. 
And then they will point at the Jindarmi soldier and say, I am sorry, you were just an accident and not meant to happen. But in any case, I am not going to feel guilty and run away from things I have done and I'm trying to make right. And I am not going to let any of you stop me. And then I am going to use concussion to like keep them away from me. Okay, concussion. Could you repeat, remind me what that does? Yeah, concussion cause a pulse of concussive force to explode out from a point you choose within long range. The pulse extends out in all directions up to short range. Everything within the pulse area takes five points of damage. Uh, if you fail the attack roll, targets in the area take one point of damage. So I'm trying to like aim it so that it's at the center of where people are coming. Okay, give me a roll. Okay. That was a seven, so... And a fierce pulse of red extends out of your hand and into the center of the pool. And it's like shooting a buzzsaw through the crowd. All of them get mowed down, flop on the ground, cut in half. Oh, Jesus Christ. Uh... Are you sure you don't hurt anyone? And suddenly, both halves of each figure rise up and where previously there were eight there are now 16 oh man it's a hydra okay all right it's hydra logic here that's fine that is fine shock you are being held by this tj which just squeezes you again for 10 more points of damage oh ah down to good old seven how are you responding Shock will just sort of mutter as he's being crushed to death, like, So if we're inside your mind, does that mean you're all around us? The figures stop for a second, and they all just kind of look around at each other. And there's a chorus of, Yes! Okay, good, because I'm going to use my freeze time esoteric under the logic of the bubble only uh, works in immediate range. So theoretically, the rest of a party, not inside the time bubble, but the Apocrita, even if only partially so, is inside the time bubble. And everyone else can have a chance to escape their bonds. You want to activate it? I'll fucking try, if it'll let me. <laughs> Down to six int points. You shoot out your time powers, and you see all of the figures around you immediately stop, frozen in place. It's honestly probably a little uncomfortable because you've got TJ's hand still around you. Yeah, whatever. But didn't you ask earlier if this is Matrix rules? And I think I said yes. So esoteries don't work in a literal sense here. They work in the sense of what we can perceive. And you're not in this apocryphal space with other people next to you. You are inside the wheel. And so the space around you is immediately frozen, yes. But you can see the war continuing in the wheel outside of the bubble. Ellie, roll me in defense again. I'm going to spend three levels of effort. So it'll be four steps easier. Okay. I rolled a 19. Everyone has their traumas. You're all working through them. You're going to be working through them for a long time. And you've lived with yours a long time too. And it's controlled you. But you made a promise to yourself and to those you cared about that you wouldn't let it control you again. And even now, while you're being eviscerated by this weird, horrific, nightmarish Carl, 
How do you still hold on to that promise? I mean, I just focus on my family. I remember Pop's eager focus as he mapped Charmande. Nerd. I remember Misha's wonder as they watched their ants in the little ant farm. I remember Shock's endearing delight at that absurd, wonderful, lovably obnoxious kazoo. And everyone else, there is a break in your nightmare. And you could swear Ellie's eyes are on you. Hopper, any action that uses the environment is now five steps easier. Misha, any action involving your ants is now five steps easier. Shock, any aid given to you by other characters is five steps more effective. Hopper, what do you do? So in Hopper's memory session, we opened with a Jameson Hopper framing device where I played Jameson Hopper and you played his nemesis, Joe. And in that scene, Jameson Hopper was also grabbed by Joe by the scruff of the shirt or maybe the neck. And I couldn't think of anything else for him to do. So I had him kick Joe in the balls. Remembering this story, Hopper kicks where the balls would be on Apocryphal Lorraine. Give me a roll. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Seventeen. Emily, give me a roll. Just flat roll? Flat roll. Alright. A sixteen. You kick and kick and kick and kick and it just doesn't work. Oh, okay. But suddenly, bonk! A chair out of nowhere hits Lorraine in the side of the head and she stumbles to the ground. And you see over in the distance, not where the ice sculpture of where your dad is, but some weird quaint house with a giant T-Rex rooster, like in the distance from it. And you look back at Lorraine and where she was, you see your nightmare through Ellie's eyes. And it's not Lorraine. Instead, you see this weird, disgusting spider, which hisses at you before quickly scuttering back into the shadows. Thank you. <laughs> Ellie is just gonna hug a hopper really tight. Not too tight. She's being careful. I wasn't worried or anything, but uh, glad you're okay. Thanks, Ellie. <laughs> Are you okay? I'm glad you're okay too. Oh yeah, I'm fine. There's no trauma. I'm not sad. Where are the kids? Uh, uh I don't, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Give me a roll. Fifteen. You look around and you see Misha surrounded by an army of spiders and Shock also surrounded by an army of spiders, but these ones are bigger. And as your eyes graze across your friend's hop, you remember. I remember when Misha just walked over to Lorraine and took off her hat to see if Cuba was underneath. Like you could just do that. They just did that. I remember when Shock jumped out of our moving car because he saw a little deactivated robot on the side of the road that needed help. And I remember when Ellie gave us the candles from her hat. Misha, any action that is especially bold or reckless is now five steps easier. Shock, any help actions that you perform for another player are five steps easier. And Ellie, anything that you give another player is five steps more effective. Hopper and Ellie, 
for Misha and Shock, who do you go to? I feel like we should divide and conquer. Who wants to get the big spiders? I'll go get the big spiders. <laughs> Ellie can get the big spiders. <laughs> Misha, you hear these tears one after the other, bright, illuminating, warm phrases. And in front of you, you could swear the figures in front of you, which were these nightmarish amalgamations of the worst that you could have done or you would have thought was your responsibility at some point are kind of getting on all fours and all fours is turning into all eights. Oh, gross. Shock, you notice that the soldiers around you are flinching a little bit and the rough arm that TJ had around you loosens for a second and you drop down as the thick hand becomes a thin spider arm. Somehow worse. Misha and Shock, what do each of you do now? Well, I had planned a, a sick burn after the scene cut off where they said, are you sure you don't hurt people or something like that? And then I came up with a sick burn. So I would like to first say the sick burn. And if it can be considered bold and reckless, then... Yes, please. I, I love it. I love it. Misha, <laughs> to the response of, oh, you're not sure you wouldn't hurt anybody or whatever, we'll say, I do not mean to hurt the people I care about, but I know that you do. And you have, so I don't care about you, and I don't mind hurting you. And then they will do matter cloud, at least to like protect themselves a bit more from the spiders as they try to look around for their friends. Yeah, give me a roll. Yeah. A 20. Oh. What? Oh, yes. I'm happy for you. Hopper, <laughs> you are going to protect your friend. <laughs> sure am. You're going to help them out. I'm on a calculator. You are a motherfucking hero. You're Hopper Scotch. And what you can hear sounds like a fucking goddamn blender. (laughs) And you see all of these little spiders just hitting this matter cloud and getting cut in half and then hydrating again back into half, just spilling out into more and more and more little things. I somehow forgot about the hydro part. (laughs) I I wanted to do it for like protection. It's fine because they're trying to get in and each time the cloud is so strong, it's just tearing them apart to a degree that there are so many and they're so small, the Apocrita can't control them anymore. You go until these are ground into small, immovable dust. I broke the game. And after probably a little too long of... The rocks fall. Simon Scotch? Misha, is that you? Yeah, I'm so glad you're okay. You're okay, right? Yes, are, are you okay? Is it, is it, it? It's you, right? It's not one of the Apocrita's weird tricks? It's me. That was not convincing. (laughs) I was like trying to think of some way to be convincing. And then I just made it worse. Misha will just think like, fair enough. And like, (laughs) go to hug him. Misha would not have checked out on Ellie's version. (laughs) And as you hug him, Misha, a series of memories come into your mind. I remember when Ellie Bash told me she accepted me as part of her family because she taught me your family loves you no matter what. 
I remember when Simon Scotch went to save me despite promising he wouldn't, showing me that caring for your friends come before promises. I remember when Shock came after me as I was running away, showing me that he trusted me even before I trusted myself. Ellie, I'm going to save what your benefit is. Hopper, though, your Defend All the Innocent now gives everyone five steps worth of protection. Oh, yeah. And Shock, any action that requires trusting someone else is five steps easier. Which you may need that, because we are now over where you are, still surrounded by these weird soldier spiders. So Shock closed his eyes, thinking like, no data spear, none of my powers are real. It's all an illusion here. Just gotta think my way through it. Only real thing here is memories. Hmm. Memories. Um. And Shock is going to try to, like, see if he can conjure a memory of the rest of a party being here. Give me a roll. So here's my logic. This would theoretically be accepting help. Okay. Making it five steps easier. And also... I'm trusting that my friends will just appear if I remember them hard enough, making it another five <laughs> steps easier. It does not stack. All right, whatever. Fine. It's like people saying that they believe in fairies. I believe in friends. I, I do. do. I, I do. do. All right. Well, then I'm using the trust bonus because I like that one. It feels most appropriate. Part of the cards. <laughs> Seven. You try to think. You try to remember. Punch! Five points of damage. Jesus. It's a good thing I didn't spend any fucking effort or I'd be actually dead. Oh, God. <gasps> Jesus. Try to remember. Another punch. Actually, am I dead any- No, I'm down to one hit point. And you're trying to conjure memories, but you can't. You're trying to remember the totality of everyone else, but you can't. So you just pick the three most important memories. I remember falling asleep to Misha's kazoo around a campfire as I would so many other times. I remember when Hopper brought Sarah to Nano Fight Club. He seemed so much happier than he had been in a long time. I remember calling Ellie mom. Misha, roll me an attack of your choice. Oh, move mountains. Oh, hang on, let Fuck me yeah. let me see. <laughs> I'll accept it. Do it. Yeah, okay, let's do move mountains. Let's just arrive on a mountain like the anime god Misha always has been. Oh, that was a five, so I don't think it will be at Anime God Arrival. Shock, in front of you, a mountain rises that doesn't hurt the spiders, but slowly topples them over, just stumbling one after another. Misha, any action involving music is five steps easier. Hopper, give me a roll. Eight. What is your attack? Do I have my things back, or is it just- You have your things back. Oh, okay. My attack is my trusty buzzer gun. A buzzer disc buzzes past your headshot, seemingly closer to you than to all of the spiders. And it bounces between all of them, disorienting most of them and leaving behind just one. Hopper, anything that is summoned is five steps more effective. And the last spider reaches down to slash at you, shot. Ellie, give me an attack roll. Okay. Specialized, and then I'm gonna put two levels. Okay. An 11. So with two levels of effort and a specialization for a level 10 enemy, this would not hit. But shock, as you're about to get hit, you hear a shink 
of three metal claws that get launched outward from behind you, skewering this thing for 14 points of damage. Because thanks to Shock's and Misha's memory, any action that directly protects your children is no longer specialized, it is five steps easier. And if it is an attack, it does twice as much damage. And the claw retracts, Shock, and you look back at all of your friends, here, real, now. In this space, the Apocrita aims to use your memories against you. But thanks to your memories, not of other things or of other places, but your memories of each other, you are stronger than you could ever be otherwise. You, you made it. You guys really made it. Shock! Yeah, of course. Mom! Aww. Ellie's gonna hug them both really tight but gentle. Yeah, Misha's going to hug everybody. Oh, my babies! My babies are back! That's not what Ellie said. <laughs> but you're in a mind space, oh, so babies, everyone can hear your thoughts babies. say that. <laughs> no! <laughs> no. It's really embarrassing for you. (laughs) I'm not soft. I'm tough. The only times I've cried weren't tears. My eyes were sweating because I'm muscly. (laughs) When you flex so hard, your eyes sweat. Shuck, are are you okay? You seem- Not really. No, I, uh, I think I made it real mad. It's, it's, it's okay. I'll try and help. I'll try and fix this so that- you're not hurt. I can do that. I can stop people from being hurt. And then I want to use this thing that I haven't used since I got it. Kazoo Prevailing Heart, where I can yeah. use my kazoo to heal shock for four points of int. It is true that it's at the cost of pulling two points of int from Ellie and Hop, but... Uh, I think it's okay. It's fine. We'll, we'll live. But I think you'll take it, and I also have some, like, advantage upon music stuff, which is how I Fuck thought about yes. it. yes. I knew, I knew this is what you were going for, and I was waiting for it. But in any case, yeah, Misha can sit and start playing. As you play your kazoo, which is not more beautiful or louder than before. It's just more than before. Shock, you feel yourself rejuvenated for 20 int points. Oh my god. And Ellie and Hop, you feel 10 int points drain from your body. Ow. I'm sorry. Okay, I have no int left, guys. Oh no. (laughs) And as you do, Ellie, the thought pops into your mind really wish I had some of that heal stuff from Penny and Pockets. And as that does, enough spray mind, spray metal, spray vein, and spray flesh to fully heal all of you drops at all of your feet. Man, I'm glad I used this ability when it didn't even matter. (laughs) It mattered so much, though. Exquisite. So are we all healed up? Allow me to heal up. Oh, look, I did not lose any points. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad that Misha was fine. Wait, wait, you really didn't? Again! God damn it. Misha was, like, completely unaffected by any of this bullshit while Shot gets hit for 50. God. Why the disparity, Kyle? 
Why indeed? On the very first hit, too. Did you just want me to suffer? Is that it? Yes. It's a nice reversal to last session where Michelle must die and Shrug was like, I'm just going to spend a thousand levels of effort and I'm still fine. <laughs> I spent effort and that's why I wasn't yeah. hit. Uh, Ellie will look at all this stuff in her lap. So I think being in mind space does stuff. Hmm, that's handy. We have our memories. And we have each other too. Yeah, and now we have a bunch <laughs> of healing stuff, too. I th That's also good. Maybe if I think about I need that. anything and get it. What do you want to think about, Ellie? Ellie thinks about her bee cipher. <laughs> do you have any experience points? I do. I do have experience points. Remove one experience point <laughs> and add bees to your inventory as a sack of bees just falls on your lap. See, I was going to think of a thing that wasn't helpful in combat, but just for the memes. But now I feel like I should be more serious. In this world, memes are power. <laughs> here they are. My meme was like when Ellie was like, and we think of anything here. Like Misha was looking at Hopper's hat and that everybody then suddenly has a hat of Hopper in their head. Do you have any experience points? I'll let you do it for one XP. I have one. Fucking do yeah, it. I have one. Yeah. Okay, I'll use it. So a sack of bees lands on Ellie's lap. And Misha, you see your ball of ant soldiers curiously just walk up to the bees like, oh, oh, friends, we missed you. Ooh. You can ride them to battle if you so wish. And I'm going to say a little bit of time passes. All of you are adjusting your perfectly put on hats and the ants have finished saddling up on the bees. Does this mean Hopper has two hats? Yes. Yes. I was thinking that everybody but Hopper had a hat, but now I but like... It's too late now. <laughs> I was going to ask if I could think of like a really good lassoing rope to lasso with. Yeehaw, motherfuckers. With my lassoing skill. Spend an XP. I'm not sure if I, I only it, have do one. Do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. But everybody else did, so I want I wanted to join the XP train. So everyone has their hat. The ants are on the bees. Hop, you have pulled out a lasso, which is, because it has been summoned, five steps more effective. Yeah! <laughs> yes! And this does stack with your flex skill. Oh! And Shock, what are you thinking as you're sitting here in this weird conglomeration of memory space on the beach of the wheel, but next to Ellie's house and to the Ba Adenu forest and to Dunshire just this weird, small space of memories. I think Shock is reflecting on the memories of all the people who've helped the party along their way, most of whom are still fighting down there outside, and just drawing on those memories for strength, because he knows that matters, that counts for something in this place. And as you catalog through these memories, thinking of all the people you've met... There are a few points where you can feel almost something pinging, something making note of certain people you reflect on. And everyone roll me perception. That's my descriptor that I never use. Oh yeah, you're a perceptive. A nine. <laughs> oh, I rolled a 20. Oh! I also rolled a 20. Oh! Oh! <laughs> I only rolled an eight, but I am perceptive. As everyone is thinking, Misha and Hop, you notice a ripple 
where the four memories meet, as if the air itself is dripping on the ground. And Shock, you're trying to remember what those folks were, what the pinging was, and then you remember when you hear the Apocrita speak with their voice. So, you have made it further than anyone uh, really has before. But no one escapes their past. And the ripple in between the four spaces drops to the ground. And there's a pulse. This pulse ripples through the air, changing space itself as it pushes outwards. Suddenly, the space around you is gone, and it's replaced by something else. First, you are placed in a small server room deep in the Prileman ruins, where you confronted a floating orb with an array of painful tools that would make a dentist jealous. It then boom, changes to the array of cogwheels deep within a giant machine the patient leader of the Jagged Dream intended to kill a queen with. Another pulse. This one into the Roulettean room, where you did not find Cubo, but you did find the world's friendliest assassin ready for a hunt. The wordless fairy with beetle wings was in your next spot. The fight at Prom de Plume that proved to be the second most dangerous battle the prodigious held that evening. Only through the data sphere were you able to survive that encounter. But boom! Within the data sphere lay threats that even the jagged dream would dread to dream of. Finally, one last pulse. Onto the main courtyard of Obsidian Bay, where you stood no longer than a few hours ago. Except, it's different this time. Because with each pulse, the setting around you changed, but a key figure stayed behind, and they now all stand before you. Marshall's Disassembler, Vera Leeny, Regular Bob, the Blue Fairy, a marionette that you once could have sworn looked like Misha, but is now unrecognizable. And of course, Aegon. Six bosses for six arcs. The term boss rush refers to the end of an adventure you. when you fight previous <laughs> bosses one after another. Fuck you, Kyle Decker. Which is why I'm not sure what to call this. Because you're not fighting the bosses one after another. You're fighting them all at once. It's you versus your past. So Ellie, Hopper, Misha, Shock, one last time. Roll me initiative. I got six. Sixteen. I got a seven. I got seventeen. Oh. <gasps> You're first, Tally. Oh my god, I'm first for the last initiative one. Oh, oh my god. So here's how the mechanics of this is going to work. We are now on a battlefield of memories. So I have a list of locations from your previous battles. And every time a character takes an action, I'm going to roll a d20, at which point the Apocrita is going to pulse to a new fight location. Oh. So it's not like each enemy per different location? Exactly. So all six enemies will be in wherever you go. Additionally, everyone can now take two XP. So two XP more than what you just had. Oh. Yay. And you all figured this out already. But essentially, on your turn as a free action, you can spend one XP to pull in literally anything from a previous episode. 
you can pull in a character, an ability, part of a place. So examples I thought of were like the Tommy Funbuck float or the tire fly. Or the Kool-Aid man. Or the Kool-Aid man. Ah! <laughs> Holy shit. You can also pull in previous ciphers, items, and abilities that you've had. Essentially, if it's been in a main episode, it can be pulled. And Hopper, as part of his benefit, anything he pulls automatically is five steps more effective. So we all ready for phase two of the Apocrypha fight? Let's fucking go. I will do my first roll. I need everyone to roll might defense. Uh, oh, 15. 20. God damn it. Three twenties so far in this. Holy shit. Jesus. I'm using my good die <laughs> instead of the ones I got you. Yeah, those <laughs> ones are bad. <laughs> I admit the gift die has not been very kind to me this evening. Mine are good. I'm trained, but I only rolled a four. I also rolled a four. Okay, so... Suddenly, the ground beneath you gets shakier. It breaks into small pieces, and a rush of pieces come at you as well, just miscellaneous bits and bobs of garbage as the ceiling above you rises. Shock and Misha, you're able to hold on to yourselves because, especially for Shock, you remember last time you didn't keep your composure here. Hop and Ellie, however, both of you are tumbled backwards and caught up in the torrent of Charmande's pit. Oh my god. Oh god, no! Holy no, not the pit! Ah! The pit we could have flown out of at any time. So, uh, <laughs> speed defense will be two steps harder, so only three steps easier for, uh... God damn. Actually, for everyone, since Hop only gives his asset to everyone else. Oh yeah. So... Sorry, team. The marionette goes first. And the marionette looks at all of you, and it sees you tumbling, Hop. And one of the four strings on it reaches out to grab you. I need you to roll speed defense. Stay back. Uh, 17. You barely fail. God damn it. And one of the hands grabs <laughs> you, and it gets picked up by the string, which picks you up in turn, and it slams you on the ground. Or I guess just into the garbage, just do, 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 for six points of damage before throwing you towards the center of the pit. Okay. But before you can fall into the pit, you hear a boom boom because instead of falling into a big pit, you fall headfirst into a tuba that is playing a variant of Santa Claus is coming to town called Tommy Funbuck is coming to town. And everyone else, you can see you are in the middle of Rouletia. There is a giant Tommy Funbuck float in front of you, a clown car riding to its side, and a marching band behind it because you are in the Rouletian parade. Hop, it is your turn. Great. All right. Um, Shock is going to call out, Lasso of a Disassembler, I could cut it to pieces. Okay. <laughs> There's, I would like to use one of my XP okay. to recover machine control implant. Oh, this is so much better. <laughs> it is. I'm so fucking happy. So I'd like that implant back, and I am going to lasso the Disassembler, but just to like get close to it so that I can then just jam the thing in. How do you remember the machine control implant? So when Shock yells, lasso it, I can laser it. 
Pop will kind of look over to see how feasible that is for where he is. And then he thinks, but what if we weren't the ones it was disassembling? Oh my God. And then yells back, I'll do you one better. And then he summons his little implant that he remembers he used on the little car. On the prodigious, I think it was a car. You used it to start the ladybug, yeah. Yes. And I give me a roll to lasso it. He's focusing with his really good lasso, which is five times better than a normal lasso would be because I summoned it. 15. The disassembler is up right next to Tommy Funbuck on the top of the Tommy Funbuck floats. You lasso it like a real cowboy. Yeehaw. And then as you grab it, instead of pulling it to you, you climb up the side of the Tommy Funbuck float. It's like a grappling hook, which I was good at once. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and as you go to stab it, you're unsure of what it would be like. Like, this thing... It's a level five enemy. You know, not really much compared to the rest. It's just doop, 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 burp, 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 burp. No one else seems to pay it any mind. Except your item is five times as effective. So as you stab it, it raises to a level 10 character. Ah! And the burp, 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 Oh, and like the little drill for the dentistry just becomes a giant fucking industrial drill. Yes, yes, the yes, pick yes. becomes a giant pickaxe and it just starts swinging around. And Tommy Funbuck looks to it and says, hey, that's not swag. And just immediately poofs into spider dust as the disassembler whacks him, showing its newfound power. So this may not matter because set pieces, but it already did 10 fucking damage before this. How much does it do now? Well, so it did eight damage because it was a broken disassembler. I guess that's true. Since we made Ellie twice as strong, we'll say it does 16. Okay. We'll give it twice as much. Okay. Yes. Hop, you are on the float. And you are still floating when space changes, but instead of being on a parade float, you are on a boat. Everyone else, you find yourself hiding behind some columns next to a small, shallow pool that is connected to a sewer drain and is open air on the other side. The boat fight where you first met Misha's arch nemesis, Fancy Tom, not Tommy Funbuck, <laughs> and then Everett, who, you know, maybe was a bit more memorable. Ellie, it is your turn. Okay, okay. So here's my question. Yeah? I'm looking at one particular cipher, and I would like to summon it, and I would like to know what happens if I apply a concentrated amount of iron wind in a butterfly net to my body? What happens if I do that? Same thing as when you put bees on your body. Random effect of an artifact, and it will be positive regardless of what happens. I would like to do that thing. So you summon the iron wind. What makes you think of the iron wind? After all this time, these guys are not that scary. But you know what's really scary? The Iron Wind. That's a scary thing. The only foe you haven't defeated. And we'll never get close enough to try to defeat again, hopefully. What's a little cloud compared to that? Yeah, basically. In fact, you notice the memory as you pull in the Iron Wind. The space around you seems to extend back, like when you put in a fisheye lens, almost as if the Apocrita itself is recoiling from this memory of a much more terrifying weather effect. 
And with a 23, you get the effect of a drill spear on your body. So this is a drill that you attach to a part of your body. And when you do an attack, you have the option to drill into an enemy, causing an additional six points of damage. So you slam it, the iron wind courses through your body, and your claws, as they shink out, are no longer straight, but spiral up into little terrifying drills. They're gonna go back to normal after this, right? I mean, I think this is all in our heads, so probably. She looks at it so upset. And, for the sake of fun, take an action. Okay, so... I, I, I would like to use the rest. Okay. Who are you going after? Marionette Misha. And I would like to argue that I am protecting my children. How are you going to argue that? Um, there are bosses surrounding my children. Okay, no, you can't. This is a very manifestation. Can I, can I help with that argument? This yeah. Is... So Ari, what's, what's your yeah. argument? My help with that argument is that I can say that Misha for a second like kind of is frozen in place by looking at the marionette. They know that it's not real, but like it's just like a... It's scary. Sure. Why the fuck not? For this turn only. Well, this is specifically she's going for the marionette Misha because that's a scary thing to Misha. I had a feeling we would all have beef with marionette Misha and immediately just start <laughs> ganging up to like kick them into the dirt. Yeah, I wanted Misha to be like, oh, let it, like leave her to me or whatever. But then I rolled a six and I was like, yeah, <laughs> that's probably not, <laughs> not going to happen. Fourteen. Okay, so yeah, describe how you attack them and then tell me how much damage it does. And remember to double. Well, Ellie sees all of them, but she's concerned because this is scary puppet Nisha. And she's just gonna bolt for them and And do you do the claws. Do you use the drill? I do use the drill. Okay, so how much damage is it with the claws and thrusts? One moment. Seven... 14, I do 16. And then an additional six because of the drill. Have you all ever done woodworking? Yeah. Oh, yes. The drills just go straight through Mannequin Misha. And as anyone knows, a well-placed hole can make or break a woodworking project. And Ellie intends to break two of Mannequin Misha's legs and one of their arms plop off. Oh, Jesus. And just like last time they fought, just woo, <laughs> they're dangling on one little thread, holding on to life and trying to be as scary as possible. Don't ever speak to me or my child ever again. <laughs> and it is a few enemies' turns. So... Time shifts again, and this time you find yourselves in a space that was similar loudness and tone to the Tommy Funbuck Parade, that Rouletteian spark, but muffled, almost like you can hear it from the floor below. This fierce but exciting debate. But you're not there. Instead, you're in a space that has a cracked mosaic of Tommy Funbuck beneath you which is beneath a raised platform that has a fake cubo on it playing the Pythagorean rhythm. And on the other side, a hallway of death with explosives primed specifically for hopperscotch. You are in the regular Bob Fight Arena. 
And I'm actually gonna have the next three characters in the initiative order do their actions at once. So uh, Ellie, I need you to roll speed defense three times. Okay. Mm. You're strong, you'll, you'll withstand it. Also, which enemies are attacking? Aegon, the Blue Fairy, and regular Bob. Ooh. In that order? Yes. Okay. Then three levels of effort for the first roll. Okay. And I have assets, right? From yep. Hopper? Five okay. steps easier from Oh, Hopper. okay. Ooh. Yeah, you do. Uh, Actually, no, I'm changing it. I'm changing it. Two levels of effort. I rolled a 13, a 17, and a 12. Those were good. Aegon takes a swing with his warhammer, absolutely whiffs as you jump back. The blue fairy tries to attack you with her beetles, but she notices the ants on bees that Misha (laughs) is holding on to. Or more accurately, you remember the bees. And she whiffs it in a moment of fear. And finally, regular Bob goes and does his lunge attack at you. But of these characters, I mean, you've killed a few of them, but regular Bob was the first big kill. And for a moment, he shrinks into the scared little grub that his final phase (laughs) was before returning to normal and backing up. Because you are one of the biggest threats. But there's another one here. I need everyone to roll just a speeder might. It's not defense, just whatever you want. Okay. 16. I rolled a two. This die is going back to jail. I rolled a four. <laughs> I rolled I rolled a 19. Oh! Nice. So your minor effect, Ellie, you can save the roll of Shocker Hop. You can have one of them succeed. Oh, no. Don't I make have to Emily choose, choose between my son and my other son? Choose! Your son or your future son-in-law. <laughs> Though, I should probably choose... I should probably choose Shock. I am a very fragile child. I was just about to say, just go for Shock. Like, that's what Hop would say anyway. So the scene shifts again and you hear like a like a train, but smaller and faster and deadlier. One could argue the deadliest thing on tracks. Oh no. The ninth world's deadliest roller coaster. Oh, oh no. Oh no. Not again. You all fall into compartments of this thing as it goes up on the side on a track made of grass. And all of you fall down. Shock, you almost fall off of it, but Ellie is able to grab you at the last minute. Hopper, however. Oh no! Here we go again. (laughs) Fall down and barely grab onto one of the rails. But while everyone else is safely in the cart, you are barely holding onto one of the rails, which will give you a major disadvantage to this next attack. Oh. Which comes from Vera herself. Oh, Vera's just going to punch me. Another arm, but a much stronger one, crunches the bars in front of you. And you can see Vera hanging on her fist. And she looks at you, looks at her arm, shakes her head, grabs her regular arm, and preps her doom fist for a punch. Wow. Give me a roll to defend. Wow. The cowardice. 
She's not even going to try a rematch with Ellie Badge. Not even going to attempt that. No. Just whistling, sidling away from Ellie while she fucking parries <laughs> every other boss. Going for Hopperscotch because because why not? Uh, but Hopperscotch got a twenty. Oh my Holy god! Holy shit! <laughs> Fuck Vera! So, do you want to do four additional damage or have a major effect? I want the major effect to be she just falls off the roller coaster cart and she's gone now. <laughs> Hop, how do you dodge this fist? I let go of the railing at the time that the punch comes and then use my lasso to be connected to the railing after she sails off because she punched and her momentum took her off at the spot where Hopper no longer is because he's smart and good at lassoing. Holy shit. He's good at math. He's good at timing. He did it. Hop calculating a pendulum swinging back (laughs) up. You see the pendulum. Some bungee action. Holy shit. Yeah. You drop down, Vera swings, but the force of the fist is too much, and she swings off, propelled by the punch, but instead of being stopped by you, just spirals off into the foggy void below. A space that has no dimension because you never stood beneath this part of the roller coaster, so you don't actually remember what it looked like. Off she goes. Time shifts again, and suddenly the space Vera was in takes form. You know it couldn't be this easy. You couldn't have just gotten rid of her. Like, she was going to land in something. She lands into bog. And you're not quite sure what the space is until you start to hear the whispers. Jump in a parachute. Do you think horses freak centaurs out? Critical questions remain. Sleep more. Sleep more. Sleep more. And Vera starts trying to claw her way out of the bog of the Ba'udenu forest, which starts fossilizing up this fake Vera's hips. And she's clawing her way out. You can see the fist tearing at the dirt. And she's about to get out when the next character in the initiative order has their turn. And this character doesn't need to roll because they're five steps higher than Vera level-wise. You just hear the Thomas the Tank Engine as the disassembler goes to Vera's Doomfist hand and just starts whacking it down like the drill, the axe, a million different appendages. Just And with her Doomfist disconnected, this fake Vera fully fossilizes before poofing into spider-like dust. Or sudden the Thirteen and seventy. Before you are able to take your turn shot or even register where you are, you notice two things flying at you. The first, you see these beams of, you know, stereotypical retrofuturism beams come down, which you would recognize as a cellular disruptor, an effect that knocks any character one step down the damage track who is organic. A series of clips with little lights on them drop down to your feet as well. These items come to you courtesy of the Iron Wind, because you and everyone else are currently standing atop the ladybug as it races away in the multicolored desert where you ran away from the Iron Wind. So you are having a cellular disruptor on your way and you have things that are called red light clips at your feet. 
take your action, and then the cellular disruptor will take its effect at the end of your turn. Okay. I was hoping I could use countermeasures in the way we had once said it could be used for my wizard dueling purposes as a defensive action to redirect the attack back at something else. But I did still want to do something on my turn as well. Yeah, give me a roll. Okay. Give me a roll for that. All right, all right. Let's pick a good fucking die for this, not the one Hallie gave me. <laughs> You're welcome. Like, Those dice are cursed. But like, they're pretty, but they're very cursed. Not for me. Yeah. We know it was your plan, Hallie. I know you told them all, like, make sure these ones roll higher than the others. I'm using your dice that you got me, and I've been doing pretty all right. Thank you, Emily. Since this will not be using any of my special powers, I'm going to use six levels of effort on this as a fuck you. I rolled a one. Oh boy. <laughs> oh no. You should have used my dice. So, Shock, the cellular disruptor comes at you, and normally you would be able to reflect it. You've got your countermeasures pulled up, you've got your glove, everything is set up. What do you suddenly remember about cellular disruptors that makes this so much worse? I don't even remember us encountering cellular disruptors in this game, so I'm going to say something else entirely. I'm going to say that Shock is actually just getting a little too pulled into this moment because this is more than the rest of the party. This is Shock's memory of this event. Everyone else was inside the ladybug. Shock was on the top, clinging to a sail, desperately trying to keep them moving while the Nano Spirits continued to deny full access to his powers. Shock wavers for a moment before it hits, like not quite fully separating this event from that event. And thinking about the Nano Spirits taking the powers away causes it to dim. The power dims as you remember that, and you get knocked back and go one step down the damage track. But also, whenever you are in this setting, you are unable to use your Esoterians. So you can still take an action, but you cannot use a spell. It's a good thing I wasn't fucking planning on it, Dad. <laughs> That's cool, I wasn't fucking planning on using an Esoterian, Dad. So, so Shock just... Ah, ah, ah. Shock is going to combine something in a not fully intuitive way. I'm going to spend an XP to bring up a memory. And this is something that only Shock would have memory of and not even a full memory. He doesn't even know their names, but I want to pull in Leke and Jessar. Aww. Shock remembered those two little machines that had tried to use Red's blessing before Aegon, and he remembered feeling so sad for these two people. He doesn't know who they are or what their lives were like, but he knows they didn't deserve being sucked into this, and he wanted to give them one more chance. So, I would like to summon Leike and Jessar to the field to support Misha's next action oh. and fight alongside them. Oh my god. And since you will be directly helping them, that will be five steps more effective. So Misha, next to you, you see these two figures emerge. They look for a second like the obsidian rotund soldiers you fought in the past, but they, I don't know, they just seem friendlier. Well, I guess Misha wouldn't be rude, like, if they look nice, Misha would just say hello, like, salutations. Uh, I'm not sure if you're really here or not, but you seem nice. My name is Misha, and thank you for helping us. Lege will respond, let's find a way to make an experiment work for once. We want you to be able to see the birds again. Thank you. I really appreciate it, friends. All of you 
are thrown up into a space that is very familiar to Misha, but one not familiar to Leike and Jessar. The noise of the Apocrita is now replaced by the noise of trillions of threads moving at light speed, smashing into each other. And you can see all of the items and abilities you've brought with you also take on this thoughtful, thread-like shape. You are all floating in the data sphere. And Misha, it is your action. Okay. Seeing Ellie take like all the three strings of the lady puppet makes Misha think of other things that Ellie has done. And I want that as the argument to summon the needler so that Misha can basically arm the ants on bees with needles that they then just go <laughs> to the string oh, and hit yes. the string. I'm specialized with bugs or something. You gave me an advantage for bugs for memories. Yeah. Give me a roll, Ari. Okay, let's just watch it be a bad way. Oh, I got six. Oh, no. Well, it's fine because you've got two stacked benefits and normally they don't stack, but we're making an exception for this one. So you just hear the flight of the bumblebees. <laughs> as these ants just charging on top of bees. And also, let us not forget the craves on the bees. Well, that's right. Just start yeah. charging. Think, 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 think. Death by a thousand cuts, slowly cutting this wire. And the mannequin looks at you, and you think you can hear the lady yelling at you or laughing in triumph or something because in the data sphere space, this string was so much more powerful than it is now, or thicker at least. So you see it starting to widen as these bees and ants and craves are cutting at it. Unfortunately, the Apocrita did not plan for its first hosts to come back with a vengeance. <laughs> and you turn over to Leike and Jessar. Well, I mean, uh, what even is a stick if not a very big needle? And I want Leike and Jessar to have, like, the sticks used from the help there's a knife in my hand game. Stop! I got a knife in my hand! <laughs> it cuts to Leike, who has somehow procured, like, a small pocket knife and is, like, sharpening one of the sticks. Like, oh, I agree. <laughs> Can I argue that the knife that Leike got was from Misha's scarf? Yes! Oh, oh yes! The scarf dagger! Leike is sharpening the knife, and the scarf just gives thumbs up. Thank you, friend. And then the scarf uses an XP to pull out another knife and hand it to... Oh my god, oh yeah. Jessar. Scarf with two knives. It has infinite knives. It has so much experience, y'all. It hasn't used any this entire campaign. No. Yeah, and Lake and Jessar, you just... They're really good at, stop, there's a knife in your hand. <laughs> so they're applying all of their past knowledge of this game and just really owning it out there. Good for our kids. Each of you feels each other's hand for the last time as you charge and cut this wire together. And the marionette looks to you with fear, Misha, as the string gets cut. And then Misha will say, that's what you get for underestimating the ants you hate so much. Beautiful. And the string retracts on the marionette. And as it retracts, the marionette itself starts turning into strings. But then at such a fucking good burn, the, like, nice <laughs> string thing stops and just 
catches on fire. Little spider sparks. <laughs> spider sparks. Misha momentarily got the fire and ice thing that I never used just for that line and burned apart. And now it's gonna waken. And when the flames are gone, you see two stone robots holding hands and taking one last look at each other. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Lake and Jessar are pulled out of the scene as you are pulled into a new one. You are still in the air, but this time gravity does affect you, and you all flop onto the top of the prodigious. Oh. And as the warm beams of the uh, sunset hit you, Shock, you realize with horror that this version of the top, the prodigious fight, is the one you had with Vera when you couldn't use your esoteries at all. <laughs> so all nanos have lost their esoteries while on here. So is there like an inactive Ness just sitting to the side in the arena? Now that you've thought of one, he is there. <laughs> there he is. Oh no. Thanks. But it is not Ness's turn, nor a nano's turn. Now that you have taken down three of the bosses and the marionette is no longer at the top of the order, hop, it is your turn. All right, so we have Aegon, Blue Fairy, Regular Bob left. Yep. Because the disassembler is... It's a pal. ...is our son now. <laughs> I think I think I would like to get some hits in on Aegon because he's big and strong and I want to start whittling him down. I would like to do this by using my second XP to resummon my time crisps. Yes. Oh, yeah, boy. Yeah. Okay. And your time crisps, so time crisps, they let you go back a set amount in time, right? Yes. So the way that I did it last time was that I just ate multiple chips to keep going back in time three seconds so that I had that many attacks in on the bad guy before they could react. So I'm kind of thinking maybe I just have a really big bag of chips. Like it's a really good one you get from a vending machine that has like at least three more the than The one you. that has a bit more in it? Yeah, you're like, I can tell from shaking the package. <laughs> this is a good bag of chips. I had friends in high school who were so excited. They figured out like they weighed gushers to find the gushers that had the most in them. <laughs> yeah. I respect it. So Hopper just has a scale and he's just like, nope, not this chip, not this chip. This is the bag. This is the bag. He can tell. The summoning allows him to choose from multiple bags of time crisps and he's carefully <laughs> weighing each one with his very good math brain. Aegon goes to swing at you. Just wait one second. Okay, cool. Now I'm ready. Pops open the bag, and then he's going to do what he did with um, Virgil. There we go. With Ezra. Just going to eat it, and then he's going to shoot Aegon as many times as he possibly can with this bag of chips. All right, so you get five shots on him. Woo! Give me five rolls. I'm going to apply two levels of effort per attack, and one of those is going to be to hit, and one of those is going to be to damage. Okay. Okay, roll number one. Sixteen. Rule number two, nine. Rule number three, ten. Rule number four, eighteen. Rule number five, four. Okay, so I guess let's do this again. Crunch, 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 crunch. Hop, you reach into the bag, tear out the time, Chris, and shove them into your mouth. When you did this the first time, you literally went back in time, but it's not quite the same for the Apocrita because you don't actually have a tool that lets you go back in time, just the memory of it. 
so you and the rest of the party can see as after the first crunch, the space rewinds in time a few seconds and you get a buzzer disc shot off on Aegon. And before he can respond, time rewinds again and you go to a new space for a new shot. But where you originally stood, a memorized projection of you does the original shot. And then you and your new spot do the second shot. And this continues back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. With Hop's regular power and his regular bag of time crisps, this attack would have been basically nothing to Aegon. But Hop never did a regular attack with the time crisps. Last time you attacked, you used 2xp, and so Hop, pulling in his memory of how these operate, is able to successfully hit Aegon four times for 22 points of damage. Speaking of Ezra... Everyone can see the bright lights of dozens of hands glowing with the Easy Life brand as essentially memories of people being consumed by the jagged dream takes place. Shock, you can feel it too. What? Everyone looks as Shock and the Blue Fairy Oh my god, you have that lose four points from their maximum pool. Ah as laughter comes out from this panel in the center of the room, this Yeah. Because during the fight with the Jagged Dream, yeah. anyone with the Easy Life brand lost points. Oh yeah. that's yeah. what this is. Yeah. I, I got it immediately. Additionally, everyone needs to roll speed defense. And this, we would get five steps easier because of Hopper's power, right? Yes. A 19. Ooh. 14. 13. 17. As soon as you hear the laugh, the rest of you, even Shock, who wasn't here, remember what happens next. And you all dodge out of the way as a sea of unarmored Zev come out thrashing, controlled by the Blue Fairy. And Ellie... It is your turn. Alright, well, apparently I can't argue that I'm protecting my children, so I guess I won't start with that. I mean... Even though I already did, because I'm salty about it. Well, like, you can argue it, but it has to be for something like, this person is directly in danger, rather than their enemies, their threats to my children. Oh, well, everyone just rolled speed defense. Controlled by the blue fairy who's still on the field. You got me there. You got me there. That's why. This isn't just a general threat. This is the Blue Fairy specifically. Yeah. So I had originally summoned the sack of live bees to apply to my body, but then the ants were getting on it, and that was, like, so much better. But I do need to get back up into the air, maybe. And okay. so I am going to summon another sack of live bees. <laughs> double the bees, double the fun. You just remember bees. Hey, we're in the same arena, so it makes sense. Yeah, you get the memory of you grabbing the bees before this fight, and just you sitting there with the bees in your lap, picks them up, hands them to you, <laughs> and you now have the memory of the memory of the bees. Okay. I would like to apply this to my body as a free action, and I would like to have it do the same thing that it did last time. <laughs> I want to be Ellie Bees. <laughs> Ellie Bees. Ellie Bees rises again. Give me your attack roll, Ellie Bees. Okay, I would like to spend two extra to damage. I rolled a 12. <sighs> 
How do you kill the blue fairy yes. again? Yes. Jesus fucking Christ. So Ellie knows how this bee thing goes now. She is experienced in the way of giving herself bee wings through a sack of live bees. And she lines up a straight shot and just flies at the blue fairy with her claws outstretched. The wounds appear before you even hit her. And just like in the past, the blue fairy falls off of your claws and into the past before poofing into that black dust. Speaking of the past, we go back to the first boss arena. Eight foot high servers surround you. There are wires, six tubes extending out, and in the center, the cocoon where Marshall had held Aegon. And Aegon, seeing this, doesn't go after any of you, but instead turns no. and attacks the disassembler. No, 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 no. Hallie, roll me a flat d20. Oh, and you make me roll for it. It's just me. You can't All do right. this to like, us. I'm using a different die than my hover die, though. Yeah, he rolls for it when it's doing the good <sighs> stuff. Disassembler. And then makes you roll when it's like, hmm, does it die? 14. He swings at the disassembler, which were it the disassembler you remembered, would have immediately died. But this disassembler is something greater. Yes. He swings and it hits the disassembler with a dud, but he doesn't move further. And you see the disassembler has gotten its own warhammer. Oh my god. It pushes Aegon's back, swings at the helmet, and poof, knocks it clean off. First off, doing a lot of damage. Yes, good. But second off, revealing nothing inside of the suit. And it is regular Bob's turn. I forgot he was still there. <laughs> we are now back to repeating locations. So you hear already again. Ah, ha, 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 oh, fuck. The Ezra cackle. No, please. Shock, you take four more points of damage. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> and instead of dodging the Zeb, everyone roll me another speed defense. Uh, an 11. An 8 this time. A 6. 18. You were on fire tonight, Hallie. I know, I'm excited. Hopper turned up for the final battle. Out of Argent. <laughs> little bolts of lightning shoot out at all of you. And Shock, who hadn't been here before, and Ellie, who's the highest up, and you know, the higher you are, the more likely you're to be hit by lightning. Both of you get struck for eight points of damage from this Ezra lightning. Uh, let's see. So it's zero out of... It's fine, I have six armor. I am debilitated. Oh no. Uh oh, great. Because I was already taken one step down the damage track by the cellular disruptor, oh. and my might is long, long since gone. Great, great, great. In fact, so here's a question. If I lose two pools and I'm already one step down the damage track, do I die immediately? Because I think the answer is yes, what? which means I am exactly one hit point from death. You very nearly killed me right oh, here. Oh, dear. Oh, my God. Okay, well. Tom, roll speed defense. <laughs> what? Roll speed defense. Me? Yeah, because you made a convincing argument. Regular Bob is here to kill. I thought he was here for strong targets. In fact, 
I was going to spend one turn, if he was alive, trying to convince him that Aegon is obviously the most powerful enemy here. <laughs> That's a good point. And Hop has been rolling well. No. Oh. <laughs> so Hop, roll me speed defense. God damn it. Oh. Well, better view than me, because I'm one hit point from dying. <laughs> no, I know. Seven. Hop, you're looking around, and you're trying to remember. All right, so you've defeated Vera. The disassembler is on your side. The blue fairy is gone. Ezra is just part of this scene, so he's not a big deal. The marionette is gone. There's Aegon. You could have sworn you forgot someone else. I remember that wrong. (laughs) (laughs) No. No. And at the last possible second. God damn it. You notice as regular Bob lunges at you and are barely able to juke out of the way. Oh. Yes! Honestly, I, I want Hopper to get to fight regular Bob because Hopper tried so hard to get there and never did. I did! And now shock. We are back where you fought on the prodigious, back on top. This time to your relief, you hear the harsh storm of the Apocrita and the skittering of the spiders and the scream of Obsidian Anuki from below. But hey, you got your esoteries this time around. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, I know that normally I'm not allowed to do actions in this state, but does anyone mind terribly if I cast some spells? As I crawl around on the floor. That's fine. We would love it if you cast some spells. All right. So Chalk is going to use a focus power that I don't think I've ever used once this entire game. And that is Coke's power. Per my character sheet, this dusty document, you boost the function of the machine so that it operates one level higher than normal for one hour. Action to initiate. I would like to look over at Misha and coax power on Misha. Oh god. I want to supercharge Misha and oh god. channel my gift to make it five times better. You are so much stronger than even you believe, Misha Jarvis Badge. Oh my god. I want you to be as strong as I remember you. Oh my god. Oh. Misha. Smoke surrounds you. Oh my god. You are filled with the smoke of the data sphere. It surrounds and clouds you, but there's a clarity you do not normally see. And everyone else can see. Whenever the lady with cinnabar lips was particularly strong, both of Misha's eyes would light red, which was terrifying. It makes it even scarier when both of their eyes light purple. <laughs> You have not seen my final form! (laughs) You have not seen it before! (laughs) My final form is here! Everything changes again. It flits back and forth, and the world around Misha seems to not necessarily follow the rest. It seems to spark and scatter in its own place. And eventually, the place settles on the one battlefield Misha jumped into more affirmatively than anything else. Yes, yes. Fuck yeah. Oh, it's the pit. Welcome back to the pit, motherfuckers. Motherfucking pit. Misha, it is your turn. Oh my god. (laughs) Oh boy. Well, I was thinking as a, like, more of a dunk on Aegon, and also because Misha thinks that the party wasn't the only one that needed to do this, 
I wanted to bring Mako and Mob as memories, and like I wanted them to give the final blow to Aegon. But no, I I got an idea because I feel like they deserve to see Aegon like this. You don't need to roll for this unless you want to. Uh, no, I mean no. I, I don't want to risk no. rolling a one. <laughs> so one of the things about the pits is that there are holes all around the top, little places for things to fall in. You walk up to Aegon and regular Bob. He's just there. Ready to fight. Aegon lifts his war hammer, but you hear a voice say, now hold on just one moment. And a rapier gets stuck in his arm. Regular Bob goes to swing at you. And you hear another voice say, I thought you wanted to fight the toughest enemies. And a massive laser beam just shoots off one of his arms. Oh my God. And poking their heads out from the top, you see Mauve and Mako just out of some holes in the top of the pit. Oh, so this is the this is the thing y'all fell down that Everett and Jesse had to do that backup plan. Oh, is that pit down there? Is is that that's the light of the heart of Charmande? That's where you saved me. Oh, it is. Which is like they're super powerful, but they're also really emotional right now at seeing their previous mentors. Oh, Everett and, and Jesse, how are how are how are my kids doing? I talked to that really nice lady who was fighting with them in I think it's called the wheel, but. Last I saw, she was getting stabbed. Something awful. <laughs> How dare you, Kyle? I think you would be proud of them. They're doing well. Thank you for coming. We miss you a lot, but we appreciate you being here for this. I, I thought this was as much your battle as it was ours. It's as I said. It was our boat. You were just loaning it for a while. But... We are all in it together now. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh... All right, let's get the rest. And suddenly, foom, 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 because using an XP to summon someone would be a standard power thing. Misha did something greater. Out of the pits, dozens of rapiers and dozens of lasers from dozens of mobs and makos start shooting out, completely obliterating. Aegon and regular Bob. This is incredible. (laughs) Oh, well, that was fun. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. For everything, not just this. I'm glad to see you again, even if it's for a little bit. Mako grabs Mob's hand. And thank you for giving us one last chance to see each other. For real. I'll never forget this. We'll miss you. Take care. Do you Mm. want me to tell him you say hi? I do. Oh, that was one last thing before we go, by the way. And as they start fading out and disappearing, Maul points you, Ellie. I told you you were a natural at this. And the two disappear. I told you you were a natural at this. I told you you were a natural at this. 
I told you that there was no way to defeat us, pal. As they leave, the space around you shakes, and I need everyone to roll might defense. Fuck. Ah! Oh, seven, and I did not. I got a 13. I got a five. I rolled a two. The whirlpool of the pit gets greater and greater. It gets higher than you ever remember it, or as high as you remember it feeling. It gets up to your waist, to your shoulders, to your neck, and all of you are thrown through the whirlpool down, down, down the pit. But as you fall down the pit, you see things fly beside you. Memory of the day at the beach. A class with that really nice professor who just let you go to detention. A kazoo song by a campfire. Memories falling, falling. But then the memories start appearing in pairs. A steampunk old dog going to a dance on the prodigious. Then triplets. The Sonati Solstice being attacked by costumed anines driving purple frog cars. Then quadruplets. Horace performing a fake magic show to an unimpressed octopus saleswoman who is also the queen of Charmande. And these fusions continue multiplying more and more until you are completely surrounded by the sights, the smells, the sounds of a patchwork experience, a kaleidoscope of the past made out of billions of memories. And the memories yell out, How can you ignore us? How can you stop us? How can you let us stop? We will consume you! And the memories start converging around you, like walls crushing in. They get to you first, Misha, and pass through. They then go to Hop and pass through. And finally, they pass through Ellie. But as they converge further and further on shock, you notice that they are not passing through him. As the memories hit him, they are almost rubbing off him, flaking off his skin as if he's being run along them. Shock, I need you to roll intellect defense. Okay. I will put in six levels of effort. Better boy. A natural 20. Oh, yes. So the absolute best he could have the done. absolute best yeah it is the absolute best you have confronted this cloud you are giving it your absolute best how are you fighting against it shock shock calls up one memory in particular at first back when he was training on the long drive into the beyond to resist mental intrusions from Lowell, playing go fetch with ness just to focus on the cards and nothing else to keep other people out of your head. But he's taking that principle and applying it on a much larger scale now. He's focusing in on specific memories of the other party members, all sorts of memories throughout the time they've spent together, and just hyper-focusing on that so there's nothing else in his head at all. No way that the Apocrita can gain hold. And yet... And yet... A natural 20 with all your effort in, by yourself, is not enough. You hold on to these memories. You try to fight back, but it's you versus a force of millions. 
and the scenes as you look around change. Details from other memories start to appear, and then details you don't remember, things that you never experienced, start creeping in. And you take 15 points of damage. It. I was going to ask, in case you were wondering, I'm now down to 14 in points. May I reach out to Misha using the mental link? Yeah. How do you reach out? I need your help, Misha Jarvis. I... I'm not strong enough alone. Misha, who was already trying to reach for Shock, will be like, Don't worry, Shock. We are here. And they're going to say it both to Shock and also out loud so that Hop and Ellie kind of get the hint of, like, Shock needs help. And then Misha will just do what Shock has done before for Misha to kind of keeping them there which is to take their kazoo and play the healing song. Shock and Misha both roll me in defense. Also 13. I will spend another six levels of effort. Just focus on the song, Shock. I'm here. That's a 10. Shock, you hear the song playing. The scene surrounds you. And you can hear it faintly, pushing through, pushing through. And for a second you ground the voices and the rest of the visions go away. But it's still not enough. It comes back and you take... 15 more points of int damage. Oh, God. Are you certain of that? Because Shock will die then. You took 15 last time. You took 15 this time. Okay. Everyone, you notice the memories have disappeared from around you. And as you look at Shock, you notice that the outside of his skin is different. It's multicolored, as if there's a projection of multiple screens across his body. And if he opens his mouth, you can hear the sounds and the voices of all the Apocrita emanating from him. You gotta do something now. I wanted to say if Misha can go and hold his hand without stopping playing. Misha, of the last 15 points of int damage Shock took, how many do you want to take instead? All 15. Misha grabs Shock's arm. And we can see the images go across his hand onto theirs before fading out for a second. Shock, by the way, is reaching out to both Hopper and Ellie. Oh yeah, Hopper will also be reaching out. Hop, Shock, and Misha, together, give me an in defense roll. At 10. I'll spend two levels of effort because I'm fading fast, Sammy. <laughs> That's all I can afford to do right now. I'm also going to spend two levels of effort. A 15. Seven. For a second, you think you can hold on to it, but it's just a little too much for even the three of you combined to bear. Amongst yourselves, share 15 points of int damage. Do we want to split 15 between Pop and Misha since they are not fading fast yet? Uh, is that like 7.5? Technically, but we don't have to split the halvesies. I'll just take the more since you took the 15 from last time. Yeah, Hopper can take the 8. You can take 8. I'll take the 8. Yeah. Shock, you see Misha and Hop reach out to you from somewhere outside the memories. And as you grab onto them, both of them pull in. But from the outside, Ellie, you can see that they're still struggling against the force of these voices 
you notice that the projections are starting to appear around all of their skin again. Ellie will say, I've got you. And, and wrap them all in a big hug as far as her little arms can reach. The three of you see these giant, massive arms <laughs> from outside of the memory <laughs> lunge towards you. And I need everyone to roll in defense. Two levels of effort again. Same. I am a rogue agent, so I won't expend any effort. And I rolled a seven. Five. I rolled an eight, but with two levels of effort. I would like to spend five levels of effort. I am protecting my children, so it will be five steps easier. <laughs> All right. I rolled a 20. Oh, yep. nice. nice! Holy shit! <laughs> this was a level 15 roll. You had to roll 45 or higher. On the hop one, you actually rolled a 44, exactly. <laughs> Sorry, team. <laughs> you just rolled an 82. <laughs> Fuck you, Apocrita. We've got one good dice roller. <laughs> what are you going to do now? <laughs> Go fetch. <laughs> when you grabbed Hop and Misha's hands, Shop, you pulled them into your memory. But with Elliot's difference... You see the corners, the fragments of the memory around you. All of these scenes start to break and buckle and crack. How are you together trying to repel the Apocrypha? I don't know if it's necessarily even a coherent thought anymore. We're just holding on to one another. And at least in Shock's mind, that's what we are right now. Just the idea itself of holding on, not letting any of us go not letting it take any of us. Misha's just still focused on the song. More reflex than anything at this point, probably, but a holding on to that just for the same purpose, like not let anybody be distracted from that. Pop has always had his protect the innocent thing, and he's channeling all that mindset while he holds on to Shock and Misha and feels Ellie around him too. Ellie is just busy holding on to her kids. As you all hold on to each other, thinking only of each other, the voices and sounds and sights and smells and sensations of all of these memories try to interfere and try to get in. And from the outside, we notice these sounds and these projections on your skin pulsing, trying to grow greater and greater. But eventually we realize it's not the feeling or the vision of something getting stronger. It's the vision of something trying to fight back that knows that it's losing. And these memories pulse and spark. And after one last push, they grow silent. And all of you hold at your fingertips, at the points where you connect, the totality of the Apocrypha, and all of the memories trapped within. What do you do with all the past at your fingertips? Let it go. You all reach your hands to the air, and quieter this time. Moments start to arise out of it. The first romantic meeting on a battlefield of all places. One last game of stop, there's a knife in my hand. The perfect snack from the perfect bed of flowers. These moments gently rise from you 
And when you've seen these memories in the past, they have been discrete, concrete things. Specific smells, sounds, visions, touches, tastes, all put together in one story. But as they rise up, you can see the threads of the data sphere, which had previously been kept out from the Apocrydon, reach down. And when the two meet, all of these memories explode into colorful strands of strings, different threads that rise up and out of the Apocrydon. And as the last few exit your fingertips, Hopper, Ellie, and Misha, you can feel almost like a clouded vision disappear from you as you start rising up alongside the rest towards the waking world. But Shock, you're not going with everyone else because you can feel one small part of the Apocrita that refuses to let go. Shock will just, all right, I'll go talk to him. You hear chimes, gentle but full and deep, giant chains playfully pushing against one another. And in those chains, you can hear the echoes of a conversation that is played in this space tens of thousands of times over. Some joyful argument between friends about toasts and weddings, and it's hard to keep track of, honestly. But the emotion shines through nonetheless. And then that sound fades, and you're left with the chains. You can see them this time. Colossal shackles that fall from a perfectly blue sky down into the rosemary-dotted plains around you. In the distance, there isn't much more than that. It looks almost foggy, honestly. But the scene around you is clear. Small blankets set out next to a woven basket, a club sandwich that's shaped like a club, and entirely too many receipts for socks. Remnants of a picnic 50 years gone. No one is here. Not anymore. You and he are all alone. Up on the crest of a small hill overlooking this picnic, next to a ramshackle camera, the chains converge around a sullen, auburn-haired young man who's chosen to stand apart from his friends. Hey. You walk up to Lowell. As you get up, you see that he is still cocooned in these chains. But when you get right next to him, you notice that his arms are crossed over, his knuckles white, as each hand holds on to the ends of the chains. Lowell doesn't meet your eyes. Hey. I know this isn't what you wanted, but it's over now. This isn't doing you any good. What was doing me good was never part of the mission, was it? No, but maybe you should worry about that. Are you happy here? Holding yourself in this empty field? <laughs> I, uh... I guess I'm scared, bud. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm scared of dying, too. That's not... It's not it. I was never scared for myself. Scared for... I saw moments like this. And I couldn't see the justice in a world that took them away. Well, it isn't just. There's nothing right or good about this. But 
if people only ever held on to things, if we tried to just freeze it in place, that wouldn't, that wouldn't fix it. Would just kill other moments. Lowell thinks about that for a second. You're not sure how much he believes you. You're not sure if he really can believe you. If instead all he can do is make himself try. But eventually he just says, Thank you, Shock. Thank you for trying to call my bluff, for trying to help me when you could and when you couldn't, doing, doing everything you could to kick my ass and stop me from being an even bigger failure of things. Well, I guess you're welcome. I don't know if I can say I'm sorry for how things have turned out, but... Let's just say we're glad we met. Yeah, I can agree to that. And he looks down at the chains. His hands have still been shaking this entire time. Before now, it was him trying to just fight against the force of it, but now there is almost an anxiety involved. I know you're, uh, you're waiting for, uh, for me to do this. I have no right to ask you anything. Would you like me to stay until you're ready to let go? Yeah. Yeah, I can do that. It takes a while. Long for you, but longer for him. And you don't notice it at first. There isn't a big eruption of chains or a cosmic blast as this last space is thrown out into the data sphere. Instead, at one point, you just look over and you notice Lowell on the ground, the chains splayed at his feet. The birds of Prilema never actually made it inside the kingdom. They would dance around the feet of those willing to play with them, but the flexiglass barrier, and later the obsidian cloud, always kept them at arm's length. But when you wake up, the unobstructed sun shines on dozens of fledglings and full-grown birds hopping around Obsidian Bay's courtyard, occasionally tripping on loose obsidian plates that clatter off the courtyard's edge. They aren't the only ones singing, though. As you all get up, you hear dozens of jovial voices ringing from the wheel below, sounds of friends who were strangers mere days ago reaching out to help each other rebuild. And on top of those voices, Shock and Misha, you are surrounded by the memories of the Apocrita, small threads of data that swirl in the data sphere around you, like dust kicked up by the wind. These memories may no longer be whole, and their owners may not think in the way they used to, but they're free. Free to grow and to change, to make stories that would never be told otherwise, to be anything and everything except for what they already are. That's what life is, after all. Withered wood and cracks and concrete faded. Lonely old Lafayette.
So, memory. Why do we have memories? If they're unreliable, if they can get lost, if they change every time we use them, if they aren't even necessarily organized by the most significant events, why do they exist? And why do we hold them so dear? I think the mistake in this question is treating memories like they're pictures in a family album, fun moments that we recall simply for the pleasure of it. But that's not how we use them, is it? We instead use our memories to inform how we see the world, to look back to find the best way forward. Because ultimately, memories exist for one reason, to help us make new ones. lava boils and above it this thin blue bridge sways back and forth a bit pops up and with a yelp the bridge moves to the side another flame pops up and with a yelp the bridge moves to the other side and eventually we notice that next to the bridge is not in fact a landmark but a really really tiny delicate wooden spatula and as we look further out, we can see Zoe deftly moving her hair back and forth as she tries to stir the tomato soup with one strand of hair. And then with another strand of hair, she's using a tiny whisk to whisk together some pancakes. And then in another one, she's pulling little tiny food out of a tiny oven. And she is just all over this kitchen, frantically working like her life depends on it. Zoe, 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 no... <laughs> No, I, I got not it. the hot stuff. We talked about this. Not the hot stuff. Oh, it's not. Oh, oh, it's not. It's not that hot. I mean, if I avoid it, it's not hot at all, really. <laughs> Ellie wheezes a little bit. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. I don't see what the big issue is, Mom. In the other corner, Sarah, who hasn't found a spatula, just instead has her arm bagged up. And it's just sticking it in this, like, extremely hot thing of sauce, just turning it around. My children, our menace is... Uh, it's hot. Don't put hands, hair, nerves, not hot. Understand? So he looks at Sarah for kind of like... A Do not look at your sister. I know what she tells you. I, I, you think I don't know, but I know. Um. Don't make me call your mother. From a tall chair in the corner of the room, Ray just looks up from her book and says, Now don't think of dragging me into this. This dinner was your idea. Okay, yes, but I am being a responsible parent and saying don't put your bare hands into hot soup and... It's not working. <sighs> Ray sighs, sets down her book, which is a kind of yellow pages listing, but for novelty animatronic entertainers, whistles over and you can see from on top of one of the shelves in this kitchen, chitter is just 
just crawls over with an armful of spatulas. She eyes them, grabs two that she likes most, gives the industrial one to Sarah. Fine, mom. And why were all our spatulas up there? (laughs) Cheddar's likes things. Ellie will like go to bury her head in her hands, realize there's flour all over them and sort of shake them off. Ray gives you a kiss on the cheek, very intentionally on the flower itself. So just leaving behind a little kiss mark and says, you're doing fantastic, dear. Now, where is the fifth bowl of sauce? Honestly, I don't see why we need this many. Well, some some of it was my idea, but I asked for a reasonable amount of sauce, which was then interpreted as seven bowls. Oh, right. I completely forgot about the two other bowls. Everyone's going to be so hungry. It's fine. It's fine. Oh, no. Zoe, Zoe, it's fine. It's fine. We're good. Okay. I will just, and she just pulls out one more bowl. I'll just do <laughs> one more. So we, we have enough sauce. But she she's not listening to you. She is busy working on her various things. To kind of set where we are, you are in the kitchen of the Invisible Palace, the main part of Anquan, and you have taken their little cookie kitchen and repurposed it for what exactly? having a family dinner and we have lots of family member i honestly are we sure this bowl is enough we have now six bowls i think we're good like i think we were good at four but now we're gonna be super good okay okay deep breath and so he takes a few deep breaths and continues doing it ellie has not been taking deep breaths (laughs) ellie is still fretting i mean Maybe a little bit of it is the way Sarah is taking her spatula in an act of rebellion, flinging droplets everywhere because she just wanted to use her hand. But you notice actually that it's flinging not because it's Sarah in rebellion, but because it's Chitters trying desperately to maneuver this spatula with his entire body. And as you notice that you feel as the edge of Sarah's chair just bumps against your leg. And she leans over the back and motions for you to uh, come in close. Ellie does it. Hey, uh, uh, Mom, how do you how do you do that? And she points over to Zoe. Do what? I don't know. Uh, calming her down. She panics all the time around me, keeping things together. Just you know, mom stuff. Mom stuff. Yeah. Are you are you asking about? Zoe? I mean, I don't know what you want to say. I'm a rogue agent. I do what I want. So like, yeah, mom <laughs> stuff. I, well, I guess me when I was younger. Oh, um, lots of deep breathing. Like you could maybe hear <laughs> me doing now. Lots of calm. Deep, lots of deep breathing. Uh-huh. Calm, wide eyes. Beat uh-huh. red face, uh-huh. and you can see she is noting all of these down. And Actually, copy. wait, no, don't, uh, maybe don't do the the last two. Maybe just do the calm and deep breathing like I am clearly giving you an example of right now. Um. Well, all right, fine. I will guess I'll change my notes. And she just rips out the page of this book and starts writing in the next one. And you notice this is a book 
of various activities for the honeycombs. Um, can you pass along a message for me, by the way? Uh, yeah. Yeah, just uh, let Hopper know we're gonna have a lovely chat after dinner. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'll tell him now. And she wheels out of the room and Chitters quickly follows her, just letting the little special just sink. Elliot lunges to grab it. Take six points of might damage. What? <laughs> uh, the armor will soak most of that. Okay, so none is what you're saying. No, none damage. Exactly. Your bones are so conductive. You just glow with heat and definitely not panic. You're definitely not worked yourself up. It, it's no, I've, no, I've no, never not. worked myself up in my entire life. <laughs> I am calm. You know I can tell when you're lying, right, dear? It's because I'm not a very good liar. <laughs> no, you're not. As good of a liar as I am a jokester. Oh, you're a really good jokester. Yeah, she has really, really good jokes. Like uh, like the one about the one about the sesky, and you can see Ray just takes a little pocketbook of knock knock jokes <laughs> and slides it back into her pocket. I've been trying to connect, you know? <laughs> With the youths through their famous love of knock knock jokes. <laughs> Ellie will take Ray's hand and pat it. Why don't you go outside and talk to everyone else and we'll manage in here? Just can we get like little tiny oven mitts for Zoe? I'm sure Anastasia has something frivolous and wonderful like that around here. <laughs> Hopefully she's disinfected the ones from her helper mouse phase. And she starts reaching into really tiny drawers. She definitely had that phase. I really like the idea of there being a ratatouille phase around the invisible palace. It's going to be a future story for the Patreon. <laughs> Penciling that one down. Gotta get the Patreon plug in here. And you too can see all of our bonus content at patreon.com. All right. Well, Ellie is going to go out. And out in the main space, Ellie sees Sarah and Chitters, but she also sees the rest of her guests. She sees Hopper, Shock, Misha, and then whoever you all decided to invite along with you. I mean, I assume Ness is here, of course. Ness would come regardless of being invited or not. <laughs> she doesn't see him, though. Ness. She doesn't see him, though, because he's doing the thing that kids do when they just go under the table for no reason whatsoever. He's just sitting under <laughs> there. He's like, I don't even know what he's doing. He's kicking Hopper's feet. <laughs> <laughs> for something to do. <laughs> Hopper, meanwhile, what are you doing when Ellie comes out? He had been clearly like in conversation with Shock and Misha. You can tell that he was because Sarah's holding one of his arms and has pulled him a little bit to the side and they are now whispering, but he's like kind of in between Sarah and then Shock and Misha. So he'll turn back and hold up a finger to Shock and Misha and then go to Sarah and they are uh, just whispering in the corner and occasionally he'll go, ow, ow, because Ness is kicking him on the table like, Ness, Ness, hang on. I want to imagine that Shock has just spread a map out on the entire table and has been like gesturing wildly at new bits drawn onto it. <laughs> Misha's scarf has done the thing that you do on pirate maps where it grabs <laughs> a knife and <laughs> slams it in like, here be where we go, mateys. Ness went under the table with his own crayons because they wouldn't let him draw on the real map. 
Misha wanting to help would at least be trying to do that meme video of the spaghetti no. person. That what? Was... No. <laughs> Why would you sully this episode like that? So that's where the seventh no. bowl of pasta is. No. The seventh bowl of tomato sauce is just oh Misha spreading it across the table. They heard somewhere from some. They saw it on the data sphere, like oh. the interwebs of the data sphere. And they are. <laughs> How does there spaghetti to a crowd? Trying their best to help with this food as a surprise food for Ellie. <laughs> Ellie will just stop in her tracks and just like look at the table. Her eyes will get a little bit bigger. The sauce is like at risk of starting to soak into the map oh. because it's just going a little too far and Ness is like drawing on the table legs and kicking Hopper so many knife holes in the table by this there's point so many <laughs> the scarf has their knife like a lot going on it's a scene oh hello mom uh, I did not expect you to come out this early I do not care for food very much, but I saw on the data sphere a very efficient way, I believe, to make this spaghetti. <laughs> I am now just placing the green salad on top of the of the uh, meatballs in the table. Please, I see that, Misha. It will be almost done. I just need to mix this together and they will start like <laughs> mixing everything together on the table. That's really great. Um, someone might want to let Ray know that um, we don't need to plate beforehand. <laughs> Misha will just keep doing it. Well, in their minds, I'm still looking at the video to follow the instructions. God. The person holding the video is Everett because he's a little chef and he's like, no, this is this is how to do it. We're going to put spaghetti. I mean, I don't know if that's in character for Everett. Everett is holding the little camera and Jesse's like, all right, so this is a really cool way to do cooking. Newest recipe. Everett is like, as he holds it, he's slowly shaking his head. But <laughs> Jesse is so excited. They're just not paying attention. And <laughs> yeah, because they, for their new uh, restaurant, <gasps> which is kind of like a Battle Chef Brigade style thing, oh where God. Jesse goes out and adventures <gasps> for ingredients and then comes back for Everett, yes. they are making promo videos. And <gasps> Everett originally wanted to do very dry straightforward like really comprehensive versions but jesse just doing fucking whatever in the kitchen gets so much more data sphere traction probably at least half from misha <laughs> who continues to watch just for like new food inspirations because jesse is the only cook that they get I also would like to believe that, like, Hop was so into conversation with Shock that he had not noticed the mess that Misha was making right next Hop to Hop has not noticed yet. He has not noticed yet. He was looking at the map, probably, that Shock has spread out, being like, oh, where are you guys going? That kind of thing. And he has not noticed the spaghetti table yet. Shock, Shock, um, maybe you should scooch the, scooch the map oh, it, a little bit. It's okay, Ellie. This is a spare. And Shock just points to the numerous dagger holes from the scarf, many stains. Oh my God. There's a bit where Ness definitely has drawn in crayon on the real map. He wrote, here be monsters, like everywhere. He's invented a monster, in fact, that he calls the Loch Ness Monster. 
It's his specialty. He's drawn it over every body of water, <laughs> including some places that have no water because the Loch Ness Monster is just that powerful. And it looks like the Loch Ness Monster just with his little robot eyes Aww. and tube arms on the neck. <laughs> It's holding a Glock. <laughs> a Glock Ness monster. <laughs> Maybe he has like a lot of those, like the Glock and then the Glock Ness monster, which is just like a Ness with a Glock and all of these other things. So many places on the map. The Flock Ness monster. It's just a bunch of small ones. A lot of birds. The Brock Ness monster. A Block Ness monster. There's a lot of blocks. <laughs> Obviously a shock Ness monster as well, which is just shock looking like Ness. It's just Ness sitting on Shock's shoulders. <laughs> but like you can't see Shock's face because the hood is over Ness. The important part is Ness. So yeah, this is the scene you take in, Ellie. Ellie just stands there for another minute just watching me. <laughs> so so uh we're gonna eat in a few minutes. Um, who else would be here? Because I feel like... I don't know. Who else would you have brought? FaZe. Oh, Ooh, yeah. Yeah, we could have some some parents. I mean, if FaZe is here, then Misha is having a, a father-kid bonding with their dad. Like, maybe they are cooking while FaZe is licking the thing. Horace oh! is actually... <laughs> Horace has taken FaZe and J.Cal out on a walk because FaZe would just lick everything. And J.Cal was just absolutely panicking about how terrible... This is not right. This is not proper. I do not eat, and I definitely would not eat that if I did. J.Cal gets too stressed watching all of this happen. So Horace has taken the boys on a walk. Maybe CK can go warn Ray that she doesn't need to play anything. I absolutely would love to do that. And CK uses one of his wings to uh, flutter up a little bit, but then he just walks in because his other wing hasn't fully recovered yet. And suddenly there is an explosion from inside. <sighs> And CK with his antennas fried, Ray with her hair pushed to the side, and then Zoe, whose hair is spread out so far every which way, it's as like thick as a treetop, all come in. And Ray, <coughs> coughing, takes out a single cake with a single candle on it that is just terribly burnt oh. and says... We're done. <laughs> oh, I see we still have food there. And she just lets the cake fall into the pasta. Oh, Wonderful. No, no, no. Ah, what a waste of a cake. We should all double check. I do not believe this was on the recipe. Oh. It is. A, a while later, you have all eaten your food Faze is just sitting there. He is lapping up the rest of the uh, pasta that is behind. And just like, oh, 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 this is real good. And he's just like, oh, I'll have to. And he just starts scooping some. I'll have to save some for Gabby. I am glad you like it. I love it. This is my first recipe that I have not looked in a recipe video because of the added ingredient. <laughs> <laughs> And then <laughs> Hopper and Sarah have been arguing this whole time still. I, I, we, got, we got to do it. We got to do it. Wait, wait, wait. Why? You know, what if we just... We just Hopper? Hopper? I know. Okay. Um, um, and Hopper 
to stall just a moment longer, takes another like wet nap from his jacket and wipes down the table again. He hasn't fully, he looked over at some point and never fully recovered <laughs> from the table covered in spaghetti and salad. And he just looks very stressed. And then he turns to um, Ellie and kind of takes Sarah's hand and is like, Ellie. Yes, Hopper? Sarah has something to tell you. <laughs> Sarah, you want to take this one? Uh, no, I, no, I, that was not what we. Hopper starts breathing really hard and goes, no, you're right. You're right. That's not what we, uh, uh. He's, he breathes hard and then his face gets a little bit redder and he starts going through all of the steps that Ellie listed earlier without knowing that Ellie had listed those exact steps. And he's like, Ellie, um, um, this has been great. I think you're really, uh, I, I'm, he looks around this disaster room one more time and goes, are you ready for grandkids? Oh, <laughs> Ellie just drags Hopper and Sarah into this huge hug. No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Four score and twenty years ago, Hop, you are on a sports field. It is a diamond with two goals at the opposite ends, and this ball with a bunch of historical political speeches on it. The diamonds actually are, as was asked in the chat by Ari, the diamonds actually are two <laughs> pyramids stuck together. It's an important part of the game, but not as important as the jetpacks. No, certainly not. Because this is boost ball. <laughs> I fucking love it. And we see this girl probably about 10 years old, dressed up in this little like adventures garb, just shoot around at an unhealthy speed around the goals before launching to the plate. And there's silence as this other kid has grabbed the boost ball and set it down at the plate. And there's a moment and the dust settles and the umpire says, safe. And this girl gets up and she runs over to all of her teammates, a bunch of other young kids, and also Ness. <laughs> regionals! Regionals! And they're all chanting, Regionals! 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 As they pick your adopted daughter, Aggie, up into the sky. I want so badly Ness to have at least a part-time job as a coach. <laughs> Ness, who is uh, the coach, he and the kids run off to meet the other two coaches, Aggie's mother, Sarah, and then also this very excited, energized guy who's doing a million things at once despite his old age. And as she runs off and talks to this guy, you can just hear her from the distance say, Did you see that? Did you see what I did, Grandpa Alvin? You are not over there with the other coaches, though. You are at this little snack stand with this dour man wearing a don't kiss the cook, but cook is crossed out and it says grandpa and don't uh, the NT is crossed out of that. You are there with your father, Theo, and two other kids. And he actually takes his little thing of juice boxes and he hands it over to one of the kids and he says, All right, now, Corey, it's your turn to bring them over to the team. And Corey says, Now, Grandpa, 
I get what you're thinking. That it, that it seems like a great plan, but and hear me out here. And she kind of rustles on her overly professional magician's robes a little bit. Mari hasn't really talked to anyone. You always talk about how good it is to talk with other people. And this other girl who is wearing these sleeves that are too long for her arms just turns over to you. And she and Theo say at the same time, No, No, he doesn't. Hopper will look back at Corey and say, Corey, we have a chore wheel. And I know that you try to rig the chore wheel every (laughs) single week, which is why you have a special chore wheel that only your mother and I are allowed to touch. I don't try to rig the score wheel. I just see how it's entirely unfair that I get picked one third of the time. That doesn't seem mathematically probable. Are you really going to try arguing mathematics with me, Corey? (laughs) Did you know if you did formulas right, one plus one can equal three. So true in some circumstances. Not in, not in this one. You're going to have to, and while she's arguing this, he's already like piling snacks over there. And then um, at the end, because he feels bad about reprimanding one of his children, even though she's doing something reprimand worthy, he'll be like, I got the pretzels you liked. They're in this bag. And Corey, ah, she opens her mouth for you to just stick one in. <laughs> I do so. <laughs> like, oh, girl. And she runs off to the other kids. And then I yell after her, make sure Aggie's jetpack is tightened. It looked a little loose when she was coming around that third pole. From the distance desk, go even higher, Aggie. (laughs) You can go faster, you know that, right? Yeah, and she, she runs off with that, leaving you with Theo and with this other girl who has now crossed her arms and you can feel her eyes staring daggers into you. Mari, what's... Oh, your sleeves. Here, hang it, hang on. Give me give me a second. And then he's going to start rolling up her sleeves where they're falling off of her hands. Like, you really have to keep these rolled up. They could get in the way. I don't know. You, you could trip. It's kind of a it's kind of a safety hazard. So let me just... just uh, And then I assume she's still staring daggers at him. Yeah, you put her sleeves up and she just shakes her hands and the sleeves go to the very end. <sighs> and she, after staring at you forever, just goes, Where's my pretzels? He smiles. And then takes out a second bag and is like, I went to the other store for your pretzels because I know you like different ones. Pretzels. Thank you for the pretzel. And she just, instead of opening her mouth, just very delicately reaches out, snaps one of them and starts munching on it. So Hop, you want to tell me a bit about your kids? Uh, my kids are the world's perfect beings, except when Corey is trying to get out of literally any chore. Aggie, the one who was zooming, who was zooming around the field there, she is the nerd and the jock <laughs> of the bunch. They're the same person. She's a little bit of an overachiever. She's the oldest, although no one can really confirm this. That's just what she says to everybody. Since they are, <laughs> in fact, identical triplets. They are identical triplets, but Aggie is the oldest, according to her, and everybody just goes along with it. Corey is the second one. She doesn't want to work at all or do anything a day in her life. But she's got so much spark in her. Man, she could do stuff if she applied herself even to things besides getting out of things, (laughs) as her parents are always telling her. But God, Copper loves her. And then Marie, the third one, she is the quietest of the bunch. 
She's kind of like a skateboarder kid. She's also fairly athletic, but she doesn't like to do official competitions. She just likes to bounce off on her own every once in a while. And she's got these sleeves and they're always too long for her and it drives Hop nuts. But that's how she likes it. And as Corey runs off to the group and Mari tries to walk off on her own before Aggie runs up and is like, well, come on there, Mari. You got to go see the rest of us. After all, you're going to be on the team next year. I'm not going to be on the. Oh, we know you're the fastest one around. You're going to be on the team. We need you on our team. Are you going to go on to an opposing team? You're not going to go on to an opposing team, are you? You're going to go on the our team, right? 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 Right. And she just gets yanked <laughs> to the rest of them. You hear a something you haven't heard often. You hear a chuckle from your father, Theo. <laughs> and here I thought being accused of murdering myself was the toughest thing a parent could go through. Uh, uh I, I don't, uh, I don't think I've gone through anything tougher than that. Dad, I've apologized for that a lot of times. I know it was and will continue to be a joke. What I mean to say, son, is that... I can't believe how easy we had with you. Hardest thing we had to do was get you to stop reading that book, not whatever the heck you got going on here. <laughs> Hopper will laugh a little bit and say, they're, they're, they're really energetic. And they're all so different. It can be really hard to get all their interests right. I mean, I drive to like, I drive to two different stores for pretzels. Aggie doesn't like pretzels, so that makes it a little bit easier. But, you know, I have to, I have to get the galled fish that she likes. You and Alvin were always good with that stuff. Uh, what can I say? All I could do is a good, uh, good plate of grits. I do like your grits. You haven't made them for the girls yet. You'll have to do that sometime. Oh, maybe when this weather is, uh, was a bit cooler. For now, I'll, I'll stick to these crits. And you can see that he has this little, it looks like a burner, but it is frozen. It's essentially like a grill, but it makes it cooler. And he is making these grits, but they're cold, called crits. They're from a little box, a little thank you box from the town of Cartesian, the home of crits. Just a thank you for their new dot wave that was recently installed. And the letter talks about how nice the new features are, how helpful it is, and how just super helpful the really friendly robot is that's there giving details like... The new improved dot wave was created by Simon Hopper Scott Simon, alongside Seraphinia Delilah Willow Brackleberry Simon Scotch, and me, the incalculable quorum of beneficial outputs. But you can call me Cubo. And then he'll go on to things that you tell him not to say, but he still is putting into his notes. Things like, this dot wave was created by Argent, a device that was prototyped by Lorraine Stiles, who created it after Hopper Scotch, the creator of this dot wave, <laughs> destroyed the original dot wave in an attempt to thwart his nemesis. They don't need to know that part. So down in Cartesian, they're hearing a very, very distorted version of the Quest Friends podcast <laughs> told entirely by Cubo. <laughs> But you're you're not there. You are there with your dad. Hop will turn to his dad again and say, thanks for coming out. I think Aggie really appreciated you coming to a game. I mean, now that you've not been before, but I mean, this this was a big no, one. I get her. you. I get you. That's how kids are, including them. 
And he points to Alvin and Sarah, who are just excitedly talking to all the kids about plans for regionals. But it, uh, makes everything you do with them feel like the first time. And Lord knows you and me need some adventure in our lives. Hopper will smile. I do kind of miss it, you know, traveling around from town to town, just seeing what's out there. But, I mean, that's what Shock and Misha are doing. And, you know, I hear from them a lot. But I... I'm really happy. You know, I didn't I didn't used to be happy in, in Dunshire. I mean, I wasn't unhappy. I just, you know, I, I wanted to get out. But I can see why you guys settled there, you know, in, in a nice small town. I want to be clear as Hallie, this is not Dunshire. <laughs> they didn't settle in Dunshire because... You wanted to avoid Jones. See, you had the right idea. <laughs> I did kind of want to avoid Jones. <laughs> and as you're laughing about Joan Miller... Who's just the worst. The single worst person. Your three girls run up to you and they're like, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. What, what, what? We've got something for you. Corey, show them. What? Well, what do we get if we show it to you? And Mari just silently swipes it from Corey's hand. And you can tell she who normally looks so dour is of all the girls probably most excited about this. And she just sheepishly says, it's a note from Nini Misha. Uh, can I read it? Well, open it. Of course. And she tears into the letter and she opens it up. And since I was terrible from a certain point of view and made letters speak in the voice of whoever wrote them, Ari, what does the letter say? All right. You know, I should have written the letter and I didn't. <laughs> oh. So I'm just gonna... <laughs> Dear Aggie, Corey, Marie... Sarah, and Simon Scotch. Last time I wrote you, we were on our way to see the annual flight of the Royal Bitterflies. I will be pleased to tell you that I was able to see such flight, and it was very beautiful. I loved specifically to see that even though they look very angry, they have a lot of beautiful colors in their wings, and they make very beautiful sounds. Stein. <laughs> I believe Stein liked their grumpy faces, and Ein was very curious about the beautiful sounds that came from their wings. Stein, Stein, they're writing a letter right now. Let them, let them write the. You can write your own letter if you want. Sorry, sorry. Oh no, no, it's okay. Stein and Ein say hi. <laughs> I will also say... <laughs> Man, the things that land sometimes. It's just a very good understated joke. <laughs> the delivery was just A+. Plus. <laughs> CK particularly liked to see how the rest of the bugs seem to be scared at the bitterfly sounds. Next, I am going to document the elusive powder piece that nobody really knows if they exist, but I intend to write it on my book. Sadly, Einstein and CK won't be joining us for the Caterpillars. Uh, Stein and Ein are going to return to the Speedy Speed Boys lair, and CK has to officiate a wedding that he claims he is very proud that he was able to finally make happen. Did you not know, Hallie? No, I didn't fucking know! I didn't fucking know, Tom! Is this the face of someone who knew? No, it's not!
But other than that, I want to say that I really miss you and I hope to see you for Simon Scotch's birthday, which is coming soon. Please reply to this letter telling me about how your game went and all of your other adventures. And Misha, the uh, various sounds and chips and chitters of bugs emanate into the letter as you fold it up and we can see the space you're in this little room is lit up not by any artificial light but instead just all of these insects you've cataloged and befriended because the craves aren't the only colorful things out there don't worry i'm assuming they're not in jars or anything they're just freely roaming in your room no they're not in jars oh yeah the the room itself uh hopper scotch the little house he made for you to store your ants has now just turned into the walls of the space itself. Oh, yes. It's so cute. I will say the house has had some improvements over the years. And so now any bug that wants to travel along, even for a little bit in the ant house and share the room, it's more than welcome to do so. So it has a lot of different assortment of bugs. But insects aren't the only creatures that live here. Because you hear a little knock-knock on the door, and two little blue lights come into the room. Lights from this smaller android. And they look at you and say, Oh! Who was that letter for? Oh, no, you've, you've already told me that before, haven't you? Oh, please do come in, little friend. I always enjoy your company. I was writing this letter for Simon Scotch and his family. He is the accountant hero that is also my best friend oh yes i i remember him and he had the three daughters it was mari aggie and 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 the android you can see they start getting confused and start getting a little frustrated as they're closing their eyes and just like and oh it's cory don't worry about it I sometimes also forget names. You don't have to worry too much if words sometimes don't come. I I know. It's frustrating sometimes, you know? Oh, trust me, I do know how it is to just have something within your reach and yet somehow you cannot recall it. But I also know that being frustrated about it is not going to be healthy sometimes. Sometimes it's better just to do your best. And sometimes those memories come by themselves. And sometimes they don't. But even if they don't, you never have to feel afraid to ask or to just create new memories. And the android is sitting there kind of not nursing their arm like it's hurt, but just like, you know, sheepishly rubbing it. And they said, because you had trouble remembering too, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I had a lot of trouble with that. And, and of course, I've told you that I will support you with what you need, even if it's just talking about things and, and staying here. Then the scarf will, I want the scarf to like hug them a little bit. And the scarf wraps around this android who takes it and kind of hugs into it as well and smiles. And then suddenly their blue eyes spark with panic and they go, oh no, I forgot. I have somewhere I've got to be. Thank you, Machine Institute of Armor. Just a very intelligent system. I got to go. Okay, have fun. I love you. 
I love you too. Oh. So before we move on, let's talk about this android a little bit. This android is one that you ran across a long time ago. To them, at least. Much like Misha when they met the rest of the party, this android had no memories of where they came from. They couldn't even remember their name. But with your love and support, they were brought in and they're making a life for themselves, you know? They're making an identity. And they even, at one point, they they even got to choose a name. And when they thought about it, they remembered just how much you loved and cared for them. So you smile as you watch Bug run down the hallway. Aww. Aww. Oh, that's so cute. Oh, that's so cute. That's adorable. As Bug runs by, they rush past this sign. Because Bug is not the only android here. Ayn, in fact, is taking a whole lot back with her to the Speedy Speed Boys because Bug runs past a sign with a little X and M logo on it that says Misha and Shock's home for insects and machines. This sign is connected to a building that was handcrafted for you. Well, okay, Everett and Jesse technically were going to make it for themselves to go on adventures, but when the whole cooking thing started, they didn't have much to do with this boat that is part long beetled leg, part covered wagon. So instead, Jesse took their magnum opus, this combination of the ladybug and mauve and Mako's covered wagon and helped it be a home for you and for a whole bunch of machines or a home for them as long as they needed it. So I I imagine at least that we cut out of the cabin the interior where Misha and Bug were talking and we follow them like out onto the deck of the ship where there's just a bunch of insects and machines either like lazily sunning themselves or chatting or playing and like up by the prow of a boat shock is like alternating between like talking to and playing with their many guests and extended family and also just occasionally like looking out over the prow of the boats at what faces them up river because for some reason they are sailing directly up a river against the current <laughs> the boat is made for that oh yeah <laughs> I imagine the legs convert to paddles while in the water and it paddles along like a big hippo. I'm just imagining the pipe. <laughs> Why do I imagine Ness with like an eye patch and well, he does have an eye patch. It sure does. But like a telescope being there, she blows. So he is he is looking out at the distance saying things like, look, like I told you on the map, you're be monsters. This is one of the uh, this is the uh Rock Ness Monsters place. See that big rock? That's where it lives. That's a fact now, because I said it. <laughs> Ness pulls out the little rock with the face on it and is like, see, see, <laughs> this is what they look like. That's exactly it. We'll have to add it to the map. And all of the little robots who had been talking to you, Shock, the second Ness starts spouting out facts, immediately turn over to the cool kid <laughs> and are like, wow, ooh, so cool. Fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. 
I should probably also mention Shock's updated look, because it's years down the line. Like, certainly he has not gotten rid of his old robes, but I am imagining Shock as having exchanged like the full robe look for having like a deep blue cloak. The hood usually back, but like essentially a cape now. I'm trying to find the best way to describe it because my image is of no actually historically accurate period, but whenever you see like fantasy depictions of like 1600s, 1700s gear. That's what I imagine Shock wearing now. Like he's some sort of, not quite pirate, but that vibe. And has like grown out a goatee just a little bit, but it looks good in that old timey sailor explorer way. I'm so into pirate Shock. <laughs> anyway, Shock's up here at the prow of the boat, smiling fondly at Ness, having the rapt attention of everyone else aboard. But I'm going to say that Shock like looks ahead and says, all right, everyone, secure your magnets. We're going up because we've reached a waterfall and the legs are just going to skitter up the waterfall because that's how we do things on the houseboat. So all of the robots, yeah, grab magnets stuck on the side. All of them have been trained by Misha the perfect way to hold on to the bugs. So all of the bugs form perfect little balls of insects that each of the robots then hold on to as they go up the side of the waterfall. Once they're up on the waterfall, Ness is going to say, and that concludes my rock fact talk with the fact that rocks are not magnetic. (laughs) And he's like pushing it against the magnet. He's like, see, it just doesn't, just doesn't stick. And that's it. Thanks for coming, everybody. I'll be here. I'll be here next week. I promise. Yeah, yeah. You're all great. You're all great. Yeah, they all they they all disperse. Ness is like gets ready for autographs. No one asks for any, but they do think you're super cool. And they all leave <laughs> talking like, oh, man, did you see that rock? I thought the rock was talking a few times. Talk about wizardry. And then Ness will jump up onto like the side of the boat so that he is relatively even with shock and get out his little telescope. Do you know where you're going? Uh, I have a vague idea, but if we knew exactly where we were going, there'd be no reason for us to draw maps of it, would there? I guess so, but I was mostly asking because, like, I need to go soon if I'm going to make the match. No, that makes sense. Um, tell you what. And Shock will run over to Horus real quick to grab the other recorder headband and bring it back. We should probably keep heading this way for a while. We'll probably arc back out to the coast. Misha and I weren't sure exactly which was the most efficient way to travel around the whole continent looking for bugs and places people haven't been yet. But we can always keep an eye on one another and you'll be able to find your way back to us. Ness will take the recorder headband, look at it with like one eye squinted and go, this is adequate. I think it'll make it easier than last time for sure. And then he puts it in his little rucksack, which he is packing several things in it. And he thinks about it. And then does, in fact, put a rock into his bag. Just the one rock backed rock. And if you take too long, we'll teleport back and come searching for you because we care about you. Ness doesn't respond right away. He instead scuffs the little side of the boat with his boot and goes, Well, you better, because you can't keep putting me on boats and then ignoring me. Aww. So Ness will then fold out his little arms for a hug. But he's not looking at Shock, he's too embarrassed. He's looking down. And Shock will scoop him up, lift him up into a hug. Wee! That's not fun. <laughs> Shock will put him back down. Okay. Um. So I'm I'm gonna be back next week, and I'll use the recorder headband, and you'll and you'll come find me if I can't find you by next Tuesday. Of course, it's a promise. Okay. And with that, Ness salutes 
and then falls backwards down a slide that now exists on the side of this ship into his slide car, which is like a sidecar on the side of the boat that is a little boat that will turn into a motorcycle when he gets to land. And he has this so that he can peel off from time to time to do things like go visit Hopper and the kids to coach the team for regionals. Coach Little League. Coach Little League. That's his calling, apparently. He will occasionally bring back a robot that he finds from time to time. Not as many as Shock and Misha, but occasionally. So he peels away in his cool little, like, motorboat. And then as soon as he gets in the distance, he turns back around. And as he reapproaches the scene, he'll go, I forgot the letter! And then he disappears and he's running up the boat and he's going to go get the letter from Misha. I actually really like that transition. Shock can go with to like get the letter from Misha. Shock will just knock on the door to Misha's uh, office chamber, whatever it is. This broke through a window on the other (laughs) side. (laughs) He absolutely did not ask permission. The ants are (laughs) scooping up the glass. The craves have brandished the little shards like knives. You can't take me. And the other bugs are just like trying to get them to set it down. Have you seen me in fisticuffs? I'm unstoppable. Misha will open the door. Well, actually, they will just be like, oh, bug, is that you? And then open the door and then see Shock and be like, oh, Shock, hello. I was just finishing the letter for Simon Scotch. Oh, yes, Misha. We were just coming to get it, but I think Ness took the other way around. Oh, well, that is okay. He will find us eventually. <laughs> You're just from, like the background, like somewhere in the corner where the wind. He didn't choose the right window, so he's in a different room just yelling at all the craves. But yeah, Misha will be like, oh, um, do come in, obviously. I mean, this is both of our place. I was just talking with Bug. It seems like they are. Remembering a little bit more these days, I'm really proud of them. I think uh, this has been really good for them. I'm so happy. I've been so happy since Bug joined us on the ship. Yeah, I have been really happy. Even before then, just traveling around with Ness, but also with you. (laughs) I mean, I would like to think that I have some daring charms as a heroic explorer. You definitely do have, and Misha's eyes are going to go a bit brighter, which is the equivalent of them blushing. I think your facial hair suits you a lot. (laughs) I'm glad. I was very worried. I'm not sure Hopper's dads were entirely approving of it (laughs) last time we were there. Oh, I do not know. I was only looking at your face for the majority of that trip, (laughs) because I think it looked really good on you. And Shock will blush at that. I'm not sure how best to end the scene, so should we just say that, like, the last shot is Ness finally, like, clambering in? Ness is clambering in as they are about to have some skipping stones and chill moments. (laughs) Ness frequently (laughs) does this. It's a bad, like, sometimes it's on purpose. It's like the terrible timing, like, in those, like, romance movies when it's like, oh, yeah, it's so cute, we're going for it, and then somebody enters, like, I made it! I did it! Where's the parcel? The letter, the super important thing I have to deliver. There it is. And he just takes it out of the desk or out of Misha's hand, wherever it is. It's his now. And you just watch your little robot boy fly off. We have a really good family. I'm glad to have made it with you. And I as well. I'd like to do one last memory. 
This memory uh, takes place not long after the events of the main campaign. Honestly, remarkably quickly, it is probably less than a day. You all are nursing your mental wounds from the Apocrita and your physical wounds from the fight with Aegon. But you all said there was going to be a concert today and Everett's going to be damned if he's not going to make it happen. Jesse is pacing back and forth in the room you're next to, just opening the flap and being like, are, are we ready yet? No. Okay. And they'll close it and they'll pace back and forth. Open. Are we ready yet? Okay, no. And just pacing back and forth. The curtain is in one of, it's where the door used to be for your house shock, which has been, someone burned it real bad. <laughs> no one burned it. No one burned it. Honestly, this is a lot better than it could have been. When you ask Vespari about it, he says, I have no idea how that could possibly happen. Like, I I don't know the greatest fire nano in all the ninth world or anything like that. No, I, I, um. <laughs> it's fine. This was the scene of a battle. There is going to be damage. A battle, yes. A battle hard won. Have you heard about what happened in all the other places in the battle? And he would just go on tangents about that. Eventually, he would talk about his sibling, Ig, and like how they're the greatest fire nano in all of the ninth world and how they <laughs> charred an enemy in your house. But by that point, he would have forgotten about what was happening. <laughs> Regardless, there's no door there now. There's just a flap. It's part of one of the many things that folks have been trying to do to help rebuild the wheel, because instead of just dispersing, most folks stayed either for the fun of the concert or for the free food or most often for the for the company to help rebuild what's been lost, which at this point leads to a lot of tarps. Did I say curtain? It's a curtain made out of tarps. There are tarps <laughs> all over the fucking place right now. Why is that so but everyone is getting ready for a concert right now. And while everyone wanted to talk to you, a few of them, like Horace, had the foresight to say, just let them rest. So the concert's about to start and you are all sitting in Shock's house on one of the miscellaneous stools, the little school desks that are meant for children. Uh, the four of you, Ellie, Shock, Misha, and Hop. And you have, before this concert begins and the next stage of your life really starts, one last time to talk. <coughs> I'm joking on my water. <coughs> this is how Ellie dies. Ellie, are you okay? <coughs> I'm fine. I've never, um, good thing I don't have stage fright. <coughs> Do you have stage fright? No, definitely. <laughs> Well, we will be there with you, being just as silly, if not sillier. <laughs> we have faced worse things together, after all. This will be nothing. I don't know about that. This is scarier to you? I mean, these are all people that I can't punch. I was punching a lot of things when we had our quote-unquote scarier experience. Well, you can think about punching things with music. <laughs> Sounds do punch through the air, so it's just a different way. I know several travelers claimed we had committed assault when we played music in the past while traveling. So, you know, I think Misha's got a point here. 
I feel like Ellie and Hop glance at each other out of the corners of their eyes just very, very briefly. Very briefly, but Hopper has such a fond smile on his face while he's doing it. They both do, but like, they also both lost 10 intellect points. 10 intellect points, yeah. Very, very recently. (laughs) Speaking of music, actually, I don't know if we have time right now, but... uh, If you ever want to hear any stories about the greatest musician, I knew. Well, you know, I always would love to hear stories about him. Me too. I would love that, Ellie. I was half waiting for Misha to say, I know my own life, Mom. (laughs) (laughs) What did you say? I was half waiting for Misha to say, I know my own life, Mom. (laughs) Don't worry, Misha, you're... You're approaching your father's talent, but, uh... Thank you, that that means a lot to me. I'm proud of you all. I'm so very glad I met all of you. I am too. I have said it before, but you really did change everything about my life, and I actually want to tell you all that when we were inside the Apocrypha and we got to see our memories, what they considered our more important ones, mine was when I met all of you. And I still think that that is indeed one thing that it got right. Hopper wipes his eyes with the sleeve a second, because he's definitely not tearing up just a little bit. And he'll say to everyone, thank you all for making each day better than the last. And then he's going to extend his hand for a handshake. Shock extends a hand, but then curls all of the other fingers back away into just a pinky. Bisha will put one hand on Hopper's and make a pinky on the other and put it on Shock's. Ellie <laughs> looks at them <laughs> and looks at her own hands and tries to understand what to do and finally just sort of like flops forward and grabs them all in a big hug. I want to say that I hope that whatever happens next, even if we tend to be apart, we still do it together. It's a promise. But about the thing in the Apocrypha where you may have heard my thoughts about where I was like, oh, my babies, uh, that wasn't, that wasn't actually, um, I just want to clarify that that was a, a byproduct of the stressful situation and that was probably not actually my actual thoughts. Just, you know. Okay, mom. My babies. Hopper's doing something that you actually rarely see him do. He's just quietly laughing to himself, but it's like one of those laughs that's just silent because it consumes you the whole time. It's like yours. So a Halley laugh, yeah. yeah you- <laughs> it's a Halley laugh, fuck you. It's a Halley laugh because he's so overcome with the emotion and happiness of being with his friends. It's a Halley laugh. He's doing a Halley laugh with his head down a little bit under his hat so you can't see that his face is getting a little bit red and he's maybe tearing up a little while he's still in like the weird handshake pinky promise pose. Ellie gently shoves him. (laughs) Simon Scotch, are you okay? Hopper nods and then finally breaks and like pushes back his hat and like wipes his face a little bit. I'm better than I've ever been. Oh, everyone, 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 everyone. We're ready, we're ready. Jesse pulls back the tarp. You ready? You sure you're ready? Okay, you're definitely ready, all right. All right, we're ready, we're ready, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. And Jesse just comes in and starts pushing all of you outside. And what a scene it is. You can hear a chorus of dozens of kazoos, 
a distinct harmonic calculator different from hops, one automatone, and just a whole bunch of cars. The speedy speed boys are revving their engines. Every character with their own unique perspective that they brought here come together in this moment to make a song that wouldn't exist otherwise, using their pasts to make something new. And all of you make your way down to meet everyone else, but a soft hand stops you, Ellie. And Everett, who's put his hand on you, looks down and looks up and says, Okay, so, um, this is like, this is kind of a big new song, and it, you know, it marks a, uh, you know, a really big point in my life, because I, you know, I think I'm, I might not do a solo career after this, so, uh, and he motions to a little conductor stand, standing above everyone else on the wheel, and he says, you know, I'd really like it if, uh, if my my music teacher was the one who led us. <sighs> Ellie doesn't do that. She might do it a little on the inside. Hey, Everett. Uh, yeah? Your mom says hi. And she rubs his shoulder a little bit and then walks towards the conductor's stand. And Ellie, you stand in front of so many people. You thought Carl was your family. But as you walk up and you see this new piece of sheet music that Everett has noted as being for mom and dad, you notice that all these people may not be your family, but they're people important to your family. And they're all waiting for you. Emily, count us off. Um, we're gonna, uh, we're gonna go on one, not after one. Like, there's not going to be a go after one. It's just going to be one, uh, um, um, 15, 14, 13. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going. We got to get to the end of this countdown. Three, two, one.
can't